I'll soon send to hell. It's time to see if truth they told who said Tywin Lannister shits gold. Ah! You beast, you beast. You killed my wife. And now you've taken your father's life. No worse child ever stained this land. Cast the day I named you. Greatest crime! Now I must flee and sail across the narrow sea to do unto you more treachery. Don't be a witty. Fear me! Mount your dragons and draw your swords. It's Game of Microphones with Sir Duncan the Fearsome and Lady Rachel of House Fox. Seven blessings, pious kings and half-frozen uncles beyond the wall, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, the Call of Chaos. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, the finagler of Flapjacks. (laughs) And this is episode 98 On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 6, Blood of My Blood. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through Season 7. If not, there's still time to catch a flaming spike ball and a chain to the face so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So, not as much action in this episode, aside from the flaming the spike balls. I have the same feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but a good episode, nonetheless, and a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going down, for sure. A little bit of development, a little bit of side, I want to call them like side stories, like Sam and Gilly. Yep. Um, that could have but, major implications, though, with the theft of Heartsbane. That's one yeah, more Valyrian steel sword in the mix. Yeah. And then... You know, we get Benjen Stark back and then we get an awesome shot of the dragon that's the size of a 747, oh, like flying through the air. So sick, right? And the way it's shadowing <laughs> it's, over the mountains first. Mm, I love it. And it goes like in slow-mo over the Colossar. Yeah, oh, what, a, so what an amazing thing for the Colossar to witness after like getting their their introduction to the, the Mother of Dragons, the unburnt as she comes out of the Dosh Colleen a, fl- a blaze. Yeah, she's like, I can walk through fires and I can ride a dragon. Yeah. So you're going to cross the narrow sea for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been too much if she flew in on the dragon at first. They all would have attacked because they would have thought it was offensive. But now she's gained their trust. She's showed them what a beast she is. And then she rides in on the dragon and just solidifies her place as the ultimate new leader of the Dothraki. Yes. It's so sick. It is on. So, yeah. Um, I have the same feeling. It just, it got 
it was a little bit more static of an episode because we've had such awesome episodes, mm-hmm. but it was still a good one as oh, far yeah. as story movement goes. Agreed. Agreed. This season has just been moving at such a monstrously fast pace and just given us so much, so much of the goods that this was kind of like a little breather of an episode, sort of. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what's your number five? My number five is actually the dinner at Horn Hill. Ah, Tarly dinner. Nice. Yeah, we finally see what an asshole Randall Tarly is. Right? Oh, man. He's like next level. He's such an ass. Like, I watched this episode with my mom while she was um, going through the series. And I happened to be at her house one day and Mm. she was... She wanted to watch it while Justin was napping, and she hates Randall Tarly. Oh, yeah. He's, he's <laughs> just the worst. And it's so sad. And Sam is, he's such a nice guy. And I was trying to figure out who the hell the other guy was. Oh, Dickon? And it's Dickon, because yeah, they recast 1.0. him in season seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Who's, is this the guy that she's supposed to marry? Like, whatever his name was. Yeah. Remember the how guy I'm- with the yellow teeth? Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, he doesn't have yellow teeth. That was a funny moment, too, when she's like, that's what she, he's like, oh, you've, you've become a woman, Tala. And she's, she brings up how she's supposed to marry this guy, but he's got yellow teeth. And uh, yeah. she's just so funny. Like, you can just tell by that that she's still like so young, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So we, we start and it's just very awkward. Like nobody is talking. Everybody's just like chowing down on some venison. Sam's yep. gonna, you know, try to connect with his dad and brother on something that they do, obviously, right on a regular basis, which is hunt. And he has no idea that the meat has to cure before you <laughs> eat it. <laughs> He's so clueless. He's just making himself look, you know, so dumb. Well, it's just so soft, which yeah, is, you know, and his exactly. father is just like mugging him the oh, yeah. whole time, like doesn't take his eyes off Sam. He's just looking at him. Totally. And it's super uncomfortable. And <laughs> Dickon's like, yeah, I brought him down from 70 yards in one shot. And Sam's like, oh, well, you know, that's that's pretty good. And he's probably like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, and so his brother asks him, you know, like, well, do you hunt a lot up at the wall? And he's like, oh, yeah, all the time. And then I thought to myself, I was like, I've never seen Sam hunt (laughs) at the wall, so this is a lie. (laughs) And um, He sounds pretty badass at first, though, because he's like, north north of the wall, you don't hunt, you don't eat. (laughs) You know, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty gangster way to put that. You know, like, you got to be hard up there to survive. That's intense. That's like stressful type hunting, like (laughs) survival hunting and um, real manly. They're like, well, what do you, what do you, uh, what do you shoot? Do you shoot, do you shoot elk or deer? And he's like, oh no, you know, rabbits, sometimes (laughs) Sometimes squirrels. (laughs) Gilly does most of the hunting. (laughs) The girl does. And and, and mostly my friend John as well. And really like, everyone's like, really? Gilly, you can hunt? Your dad taught you how to hunt? Like what the hell? Yeah, I love how he calls her a huntress. Yes, a huntress. Great word. And Lady Tarly, who 
in our script her name is melissa and i actually didn't yeah. know that she that seems really nice melissa. actually oh my god she seems like a sweetheart yeah how'd she uh you know how does she put up with randall well, she it was probably an arranged him. marriage yeah but still like she said she, you know, like she like no choice. Got poisons or something yeah so she's probably just too nice to do it yeah and you know she has her children and they probably just ignore each other <laughs> Yeah, probably. Cornhill looks beautiful. That place, like a, man, wow. Wow. Talk yeah. about a palatial estate. It's it's in Roman style with uh It looks like a fortress. Yeah, totally. And I love the the the, the arches like it looks like almost like aqueducts on the side where there's multiple layers of these rolling arches that are different heights and widths and uh pretty amazing. Yeah, so it's um you know, at least they're in a nice spot and <laughs> Sam's sister's like, well, our father could learn something from Gilly's father because I want to hunt. Yeah, little does she know that he's an incestuous rapist. <laughs> that like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is like an awkward. They, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Sam and Gilly like exchange glances at each other. Like, <laughs> probably, oh <God."> yeah. <laughs> like, no, 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 and Sam's mom, she's sensing that it's getting kind of even more uncomfortable than tense. it already is. And so she breaks the silence with offering Sam more bread. Oh, and yeah, of course yeah, yeah. Sam is like, okay, think about it. Yeah. I mean, I know we know Sam likes to eat, but he's up at the wall eating shit food, right. shit ale, like warm bread from Horn Hill. Yeah. Sounds every amazing. meal. And he's sitting down to like a venison dinner with fresh bread. Dude, I would take another roll. Yeah. I would take another like five rolls <laughs> if I were him. And it's such just like a regular, like normal motherly question. Like, oh, eat, make sure to eat your bread, darling. You know, <laughs> would you like another? <sighs> yeah. And so he's, you know, oh, yes, 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 please. Thank you, mother. <laughs> and <laughs> the servant girl comes over and randall is just so he's disgusted just fucking, he's just grilling the whole time not fat enough already and it's like what the <laughs> fuck and silence descends over the hall and sam's like <laughs> face he looks so sad and he like waves the bread away and it's how i feel like when i go on a diet it's like, no bread please get it out of my sight yeah and i'm and i'm like damn it sam like be a fucking be a man make your own decisions hold your ground eat that bread if you want to yeah you know what i mean totally stand your ground boy so sam tries to change the subject and yep. talk about something else that randall hates, hates. yeah totally. which is becoming a maester and randall's like i don't need you to talk i read your letter yep and oh i hate when he says this to sam I thought the night's watch might make a man of you. Something resembling a man, at least. You managed yeah. to stay, stay soft and fat. And Gilly is not okay with Randall speaking to Sam like this. He, no. During this monologue, she's looking directly at Randall and she looks mad as hell. Yes. Super yes. mad. And I love it, too, because she does confront him. And I think if it was an actual, like, Westerosi lady that person would not have come to sam's rescue defense kind of like that yeah. defense it's her fierce like her ferocious wildling yeah, nature she has she doesn't know like the politics of yeah. like women do not speak out at the at right. the dinner table she's a, she's a huntress you know she's she's gonna do her thing yeah she's she's gonna stick up for 
Sam. You gotta love her in this moment as she stands up for him. Yeah. I mean, she was like, he killed a Fen. He right. killed a White Walker. And they start laughing at her. He can wield a sword. Ugh, God. And Dickon's like, there's no such thing as White Walkers. And, and nobody, like, it's so this shows us that the word still has not reached the South yet. And, like, no one knows or believes the truth d- down this far. No, it's still grumpkins and snarks. Yeah, exactly. It's it, just children's stories. Yeah. And so... Gilly slips here. Yeah, she does. I saw it with my own eyes on our way down to Castle Black. And as she's saying it, it's like a profile shot of the of her with the camera and uh, Randall Tarley in the background, and the camera focuses yeah. on Randall. Yeah, as he's, he's hearing like, what she's saying. Down from Castle Black. Okay, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> So Gilly's like listing off the accolades of Sam's excellence, his prowess. Oh, yeah. You yes. know, and his, his, the tales of his valor, driving the dagger into the White Walker's heart, risking his own life to save hers more than once. And she has this great moment where she looks at, starts looking at Dickon and says, he's a greater warrior than either of you will ever be. And for the second half of the sentence, she turns and is looking right at Randall when she says it. Like she gives him both the business right there. And I love it. Sadly, through all of these tales of Sam's valor and excellence as a warrior, all that Randall heard was that Gilly's a wildling. Yeah. All of this stuff that Sam did that should make him proud flies right by as he's consumed with his, his like bigotry, basically. The fact that his son, you know, is in love with a wildling or subdued or seduced, seduced by a wildling. Yeah. Ugh. So and- messed up, man. He goes, so how did you meet my son? She goes, the Night's Watch came to our keep. And she just is honest. She's like, north of the wall. I'm a wildling. Sam's like, Like, don't tell her, Gilly. Gilly. Please don't. (laughs) I've put my utensils down. I'm slouched in the corner. Please don't tell my father you're a wildling. And as Randall is asking about this, Gilly, she's like, you're way down to Castle Black. And her face just like goes blank when she realizes that she slipped up. And Sam, Sam just looks totally defeated. Like yeah, he's, he's just like, like his fuck. head is down and his like arms are close. And- Everything that could have gone wrong at this dinner has <laughs> gone wrong. <laughs> Everything. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, so we see what a bigot he is. Oh, yeah. And I love Sam's mom here. Yeah. She's like, this is enough. This is absolutely out of like it's ridiculous like come ladies this basically is an inappropriate conversation for us to be a part of and i love how she grabs uh gilly's hand and then puts her hands on her shoulders like total support you know so yeah yeah it's awesome it made me feel better as a first time watch watcher because i was really terrified that gilly was gonna there was something bad was gonna happen to gilly here after sam left right but i think that Randall wouldn't do anything to Gilly because of the way Melissa and the sister Tala reacted and yeah. kind of stood up to Randall because I agree. Randall says he dishonors us and Melissa turns around and she goes, you dishonor yourself. Like, and that, I thought that was pretty bold of her to, totally. to say that to her husband, especially how gruff and kind of intimidating he is yeah and he, before like she has that, no fear uh, of him before she she said straight up you dishonor yourself 
she's like slams her chair back and stands up and she says i've lost my appetite which is a like basically a polite way of saying you disgust me to randall yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i love it and that's after like a whole series of escalations by randall throughout this conversation where he's he goes on a rant about about gilly being a wildling and how they've waged war against this, the savages for centuries and here he's hosting one thanks to his son and he brings up heartsbane on the wall um and he's oh, like i totally skipped over heartsbane Oops. Yeah. <laughs> he's like he's like see that sword and i'm like yep sam's gonna be stealing it pretty shortly it's the family sword, not Randall's sword. Yeah, yeah, Again, exactly. Again, being very literal with... It's not his decision to bypass me in the line of sword succession. <laughs> <laughs> Which I find funny because Randall's still alive, technically. Oh, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Heartsbane's really going to be an issue in season eight because... Oh, Randall's dead, Randall yeah, and at this D point. Dickon are dead. Yeah, he never got a chance to try to get... Um, so, Sam, and so it's right where it should be. Yeah, exactly. In Sam's hands. And I'm wondering who's going to end up wielding it. Is Sam going to use it? It seems kind of like a waste with Sam. He needs to be doing something more intellectual. I'm thinking maybe the hound ends up with Heartsbane. Who's Interesting. The, most, the next most like glorious warrior that would uh, be able to make good use of such a weapon. He might need Valyrian steel to take down the mountain for all we know. You know what I mean? <laughs> Shit. Yeah. That would be uh, so that, sick. I think that, and there are they in the Riverlands. Is um, Horn Hill in the Riverlands? It's uh, it's it's by Old Town. Oh, okay. I was gonna say because the Hound may be close to Horn Hill. I think that Sam probably has he has the, the sword when he leaves the Citadel. I'm sure, and he goes up back up to oh, Winterfell. That's right. And that's then the right. Hound is on his way there too. I think. Well, yeah, because the hound was north of the wall. Yeah. So, so he's up He's up in the north. That's right. I totally forgot where the hound was at the end of the seventh season. Yeah, it's possible that the hound could end up using the sword. I'm hoping. That would be really Makes cool. Makes sense. Yeah, that'd be cool. So Randall's, you know, a little bit of exposition. He's like, it's called Heartsbane. It's been in our family for 500 years. Valyrian steel. Only a hand of them left in the world. It's supposed to go to my firstborn son after I die. To him. He will never wield that sword. And he's like so fucking like serious about this. Yeah. And uh, this reminded me of Aegon the Conqueror's sword Blackfire and the situation that happened with him. I know a little bit about the Blackfire rebellions. Nice. Yeah. This is the sword that was like at the heart of it. Basically, Aegon the Conqueror had a sword named Blackfire and it was passed down to all the firstborn sons, basically. And by the time King Aegon the Fourth had it. He had one legitimate son named Darren, and he ended up being king, but he decided to pass Blackfire down to his, his bastard son, Damon Waters, who was like the best of all the talented warriors of the day, basically. He, he then changed his name to Blackfire after the sword and became Damon Blackfire, who's one of the most famous characters in uh, Westerosi lore in history. Nice. And uh, a claim was pressed by him and his followers that he was the rightful king after Aegon IV died because he was given Blackfire. And so the Blackfire rebellions were born where 
Damon was fighting against Daron to try to take over the throne, basically. Pretty interesting. That's crazy. Yeah, I want to read more into that because was it um, the History of Westeros podcast? They did some several episodes on the Blackfire Rebellions that I listened to. Yeah, probably. Them and yeah. Radio Westeros probably did also. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep, lots of good Blackfire Rebellion stuff. So it's just kind of interesting here. Um, another Valyrian steel ancestral sword that's being like the the rightful inheritor of it. The firstborn male is being bypassed by the owner. So just kind of yeah. a cool parallel. But Definitely. Sam ends up getting it anyway. Whereas Daron the second doesn't. <laughs> yeah, never got Blackfire. the The um, location of Blackfire is currently unknown. Unknown. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. right. It's coming back to me. It's been about a year and a half since I listened to the those episodes of the mm. Blackfire Rebellion. So it's, but I mean, I'm not a book reader or I haven't finished the books. I'm trying to, but um, I thoroughly enjoyed those episodes. Yeah. Of, so like the cool. history. The Blackfire stuff's really awesome. It's, it totally enhances it. Yeah, for totally. sure. Yeah. Knowing the, knowing all the background stuff. Yeah. yeah. I like, I like that parallel. Yeah. The, the last thing I just kind of wanted to touch upon was that Randall kind of submits to his wife. He goes, you don't deserve your mom, but to please her, I will take Gillian yep. and she can work in the kitchen and we'll raise Sam, little Sam. But this is the last night that you will ever spend in Horn Hill. Yeah. You'll be a bitch. <laughs> like, and I, I was like, damn, I don't know if it's too harsh to play the bitch made sound effect here for, for Sam. Cause it might be too mean. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sam. Yeah. Like, like uh, there's that part where Randall's like, I took you for a Molestown whore when I saw you and I made my peace with that. Who else would have him? But I overestimated Ugh. him. And uh, it, it's so fucked up. The flaws that he perceives Gilly having more significantly, he sees as illustrative of Sam's worthlessness, which seems to bother Gilly even more than the insults to her directly. Like the, the, the reflection off of Sam, like he says that and she just turns at Sam and Sam is basically turned into a quivering, trembling lump of goo. <laughs> a coward. Yeah, like he, yeah. which is how he came to Castle Black. He like reverted. Yeah, same type of thing. Yeah, total PTSD type. Uh, yeah, reversion. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty intense. And this is also our introduction to Randall and Dickon Tarly, yep. uh, which they played a role in one of the <laughs> probably the best episode of the series, which the is the loot train battle. So I I felt compelled that this this whole dinner should be in my top five. Nice. Do you have anything else you want to add about this? No. Okay. I think that's what is your number five. My number five is the play part two. Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) So we're back to the play. And Joffrey is about to die as he cuts open the pie with Widow's Whale. (laughs) And the the, uh, doves fly out of it and everything. And uh, I just thought it was, you know, it's it's funny to see this happening and Arya's enjoying it too because she's she's heard about it. Yeah, she's happy to see Joffrey die as opposed to her dad or um, King Robert or anything like that. She she mentioned too back a long time ago that she was really pissed that she couldn't see Joffrey die. Mm-hmm. 
she was yeah, really true. pissed. Right. Yeah. Like she was super mad about that. And so this is she's, the next best thing. This I guess. is like, yeah, that's why I think she's laughing at it. She's like, haha, I actually do kind of get to see it and enjoy <laughs> enjoy of, yeah. it at some level. Yeah, totally. And I like some of the rhymes that these guys have here. Uh the Tyrian guy, drink long and deep, my noble king, from this cup of sweet wine. The last drink he shall ever take, and vengeance shall be mine. Yes, it's very clever, this little play within a TV show. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, and I liked how they also threw another famous moment from Westerosi history in where, where Joffrey's poisoned. Poison! murder i gasp i die and he falls to the ground <laughs> he points to Tyrion. yeah points at Tyrion. so people obviously witnessed that in real life and it's become like a like a legendary event like the stuff of legend joffrey yes. dying and pointing at the imp who poisoned him you know <laughs> before yeah. he escaped prison and is on the loose like that's a pretty legendary story right there for sure even though he's completely innocent and it's probably been embellished so much yeah yeah totally <laughs> Oh, and, and Tyrion even, like, has a vial of, of poison here, which is kind of funny. Oh, yeah, because he, like, he, like, dit, 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 dit. Yeah. <laughs> like, tips it side to side. Yep, and, uh, and Joffrey's like, my evil Uncle Imp, <sighs> and dies, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. And the girl next to Arya, Arya's, like, cracking up, and the girl next to her tells her to stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Because Joffrey's like, you know, probably painted as the good guy or whatever. Yeah. And, yes, know. he is. Because they're all crying when um, Lady Crane does her, right, monologue. her monologue with uh, without the anger this time. Yes, the sadness, which is not Cersei, as we know. Right, and Arya's smile kind of goes away when she's watching it, and she gets kind of serious. I think she's sort of taken with Lady Crane's acting here. Is that the way you, you perceived yes. it? I wasn't sure if she was like seeing Lady Crane's acting and feeling potentially like sympathetic to Cersei losing a child or if she was just reacting purely to the acting. I think she was reacting to the fact that Lady Crane is very talented and mm -hmm. she is feeling apprehensive of carrying of out her yes. faceless man duties. I would agree. That's I don't think she has any sympathy for Cersei. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Because Cersei's been on her list and everything like that. Yeah. So I uh, and clearly she's thought about this scenario. She's, before. Isn't she the only. Oh, the mountain too. Cersei and the mountain are the only ones left on Arya's list oh, in season snap. seven. Damn. Yeah. And so so Arya also sees Bianca mouthing the lines in the background. Yes. Uh, just ready to take that part over. <laughs> and this is how she figures out that Bianca really is the one behind the 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 hit on Lady Crane. Mm -hmm. And and Lady Crane does perform this pretty well, just without the anger. But even without it, it's a moving speech. You know? Extremely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so next uh, it cuts to Tyrion confronting Tywin on the toilet. What is that I hear and smell? <laughs> Someone I'll soon send to hell. <laughs> Great little line. Yes. And um, Arya is like, ooh, like going up to watch what's happening here. And I like this part. He says, it's time to see if truth they told who said Tywin Lannister shits gold. <laughs> and I like this because it's a fun way to work in this famous concept from the books into the show. I don't think we've heard anything else on the show about Tywin Lannister shitting gold, have we? Um, doesn't Tyrion say 
something about his father shit shitting gold. Maybe. I feel like it's mentioned. Maybe it is, but uh, it's it's it, either way. It's good to bring this back into it. It's just just a funny thing. Um, I pulled yeah. a couple quotes from the books that I wanted to read about time oh, nice. shit and gold. <laughs> so, Do uh, it. a clash of kings, Arya Seven. Though ravens came and went every day, Lord Tywin himself spent most of his days behind closed doors with his war council. Arya caught glimpses of him, but always from afar. Once walking the walls in the company of three maesters and the fat captive with the bushy mustache, once riding out with his lord's bannermen to visit the encampments, but most often standing in an arch of the covered galley watching men practice in the yard below. He stood with his hands locked together on the gold pommel of his long sword. They said Lord Tywin loved gold most of all. He even shit gold, she heard one squire jest. <laughs> That's awesome. A Storm of Swords, Tyrion Four. If you do shit gold, father, find a privy and get busy, he wanted to say, but he knew better. A Storm of Swords, Tyrion Eleven. Now that's where you're wrong, father. Why, I believe I'm you, writ small. Do me a kindness now and die quickly. I have a ship to catch. For once, his father did what Tyrion asked him. The proof was the sudden stench as his bowels loosened in the moment of death. Well, he was in the right place for it, Tyrion thought, but the stink that filled the privy gave ample evidence that the oft-repeated jape about his father was just another lie. Lord Tywin Lannister did not, in the end, shit gold. <laughs> nice. Yes. I like those. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Just so this is kind cool of a little, little nod to those those quotes. Yeah, definitely. It was cool that they threw that in there into the play because it's definitely like a theme, something that people make jokes about throughout West. Yeah. Throughout Westeros. So uh, it cuts to the back, and Arya is going to to do the poisoning, basically to contaminate the rum. And as this is happening, there's sort of like a monologue. Tywin, as he's dying, he's he's lambasting Tyrion and saying he killed his wife Joanna being born and now he's killing me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's talking about what a wretch Tyrion is and just how he's the worst of you all beast, times. You beast, you yeah. beast. <laughs> and Arya is deciding to poison the wine and uh, Tywin dies and the guy makes the farting noises again. And uh, Tyrion has a great couple lines here. My greatest crime, now I must flee. Don't fear the winter, fear me. And I thought that was cool because in the context of the play, it's talking about how Ned was sort of like the patsy and the fall guy to, to, for Tyrion to step over to seize power for himself. So he's like, ha ha ha, don't fear the Starks and winter, fear me. But fear in, me. Yeah, but in our context, it's a joke about how all the people are ignoring the threat of the White Walkers from up north. Oh, Which yes. is happening in the background, basically. <laughs> so, nice. Like, kind of illustrated in this episode, like how Dickon, Dickon doesn't believe the Walkers, the White Walkers even exist, you know? Yes. So, for sure. Tyrion shoots an arrow out into the, into the audience and ha ha ha, cackles and everybody boos him up. <laughs> But Arya nice. has has decided to poison the rum, and that's where we leave off with my number five. Okay. What's your uh, number four? My number four is the return of Benjen Stark. Nice, Benny boy. Benjen. 
I like the name Benjin. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a cool name. It's a cool name. Yeah, so, oh my God, we start out with poor Mira. <laughs> that is a big ass sled, and Bran is like not a small kid. And she yeah. is hiking through like deep snow in woods, trying to get away from the army of the dead. And she's freaking out. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's having like the worst time. She is. It's so horrible. I've, you know, what's really funny is I've watched this, the scene, you know, as many times as I've watched the series. And right. this is the first time I actually had kind of an emotional response to it. Yeah, me too. Actually, I, I her performance was very powerful. She was very frantic, yeah. very convincingly frantic and desperate. Yeah. And she basically just gets the sled stuck up on this tree and she's exhausted they're and they're stuck and she's devastated and just doesn't know what to do. And so she goes around to Bran and she's holding his hands or his head in her face and 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 Bran opens his eyes and looks at her and we're getting all of his visions which you know is a whole plethora of stuff should we talk about that quickly yeah we can oh what i one thing really quick leading into the visions that i thought was neat was how um remember that child of the forest told mira that Bran will need you when he's out there He's not going to re- be here forever and he's going to need you when he's out there. Remember oh, that? yes, that's right. It's like the child of the forest knew that he wasn't going to have Hodor. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. I wonder if they can kind of like foresee. Yeah, well, the three-eyed raven would have known everything and probably told them everything. And they, they, whole knows. Yeah, maybe they can all green sea and stuff like that. So maybe they, yeah, maybe they're all maybe they in tap the into the network somehow. Yeah, the Wi-Fi. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so he's getting these crazy visions. Yeah. What stuck out to you? Well, we see Mad King. Yeah, that and was we see awesome. wildfire, and then we see stuff blowing up, and all I could think of was Cersei. Yeah. Like, that's all I could think about was because that's the next big thing with wildfire is Cersei blowing up the Sept of Baelor. And the more and more I think about this theory of Cersei being a Targaryen, (laughs) (laughs) it's starting to mean a little bit more. There's just more hints to it than I originally kind of anticipated when I said it fleetingly. Yeah, there's a lot of signs, like a lot of, you know, potential hints for sure. Yeah. With all of the Lannister kids. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and wouldn't it be ironic? Don't you think? <laughs> oh, God. A little too ironic. And yeah, I really do think. It's like red. <laughs> wouldn't it be ironic that Tywin being obsessed with his family legacy and his children's legacies that none of his children are actually his. <laughs> yeah, that would be super I think that's ironic. very poetic and very George R.R. R. Martin. Yeah. Like, so many secret Targaryens everywhere. Everywhere. Like Patch Face. <laughs> that's, what the, <laughs> that's what this whole story should just be called. The, the like, legacy of secret the Targaryens. secret Targaryens. Yeah, yeah, totally. That would be a cool spinoff. <laughs> yeah. So... The other things in the vision, I mean, we see that he sees himself falling. So, yep. uh, you know, we do we see the dra- do we see a dragon in yeah, this? Yeah, fin- we see okay. 
Drogon or fly or we see I think well, it's, it's, sh- it's a shadow. Yeah, we see a shadow at first, and then I think we actually see the dragon itself, like a uh, like a silhouette shot of it looking up into it. I think he does see actual Drogon, but I think the sh- the shadow of the dragon is flying over King's Landing. Yeah, it looks and like it. You can't tell if it's in the future or the past. Right. Right. I because think it's we're be the getting future. images of the past. I think it's in the future too. And it cuz yeah, cuz it could be Drogon or it could be Balerion, you know. Exactly. Exactly. So um Burn the Mall came up twice, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And he's so, like reliving certain visions cuz he can't control it as he tells uh some Benjamin at the end of the episode, right? It's like, I can't control it. So that's yeah. probably why it's like having all these crazy, uh, it's just like nothing makes sense. He's basically getting bits and like, pieces. And I think this is why it kind of short circuits his brain. Like, yeah. He has no control over it whatsoever. And his, like, you can kind of even see it in his face. Like while he's in the vision, it's just, just overwhelmed. Yeah. Like, major auto upload and it's crazy yeah, <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool so we also see jamie unsheathing his sword and killing the mad king yes we do yeah. i have that in my notes as well it's that's intense totally um yeah pot- we get a lot of a lot of stuff that i mean i think i'd have to watch that image i'd have to watch it several times in a row to pick up on everything that we see yeah we see the pyromancers pouring wildfire we see hard home yeah hard home the second second wave of visions we see hard home we see the whites rising we see the the night king and his own fall from the tower again yeah it's pretty intense it is and we see lots of ravens we see um Bran relives the Night King touching him, and that's when he kind of comes to again. And Mira is like holding his face, and he goes, Mira, they found us. So casually. And she goes, I'm so (laughs) sorry. And this is where I started really getting kind of like an emotional response to this. Like, how helpless, how defeated does she feel? And they're going to die this horrid death. And she thinks that she's like letting down like this transcendent figure who's like supposed to do something huge and like because of her like she can't pull that cart anymore he's gonna die basically i know i'm sure she almost felt like she should have been the one holding the door and hodor should have taken bran oh man you know like all this guilt that she's feeling and i i don't know why i've never felt that with this scene before but it was really kind of hard to watch maybe you have and you just forgot you know maybe I don't know. I did get a severe emotional response to it, though. Like my yeah, so eyes started like, welling up. Like how? Really, yeah, like really good how performance. Sad. Super sad. Yeah, and, and so frantic. Then out in the distance, we hear them. Yup, and they're just enclosing. They're just like racing through the forest. Yeah, yeah, they are. Like and. We start seeing them surrounding, and she's like saying, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry," and she's like. L- trying to spread herself like completely over Bran. Like maybe, maybe they'll get me and they won't get him, you know, which is wishful thinking, but she's (laughs) doing, she's doing her best to protect someone who's completely helpless. Like he can't move. Like he's stuck there and they're just kind of 
coming out like I love all the darting camera angles we get like a little glimpse glimmer here of this area of the forest and we jump over here and it's very yeah, super chaotic, chaotic. and <laughs> yep. um you know just in, it's intense and then they're really close and out of the blue comes this masked rider with this badass fucking flame weapon I don't even know what to call it it's like a spark <laughs> yeah it's like a spiky flame ball on the end of a chain with a scythe on one end it has to be because i mean we know now that it's benjin and that he was with the children of the forest i'm wondering if it's like one of their weapons maybe they, they do use. like chains north of the wall apparently right mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it's all about the benjin starks baby so we get this amazing again kind of chaotic short cutting of like visions and we see benjen who we don't know is benjen at this moment i love the one where it wraps underneath the guy's legs and like whacks him on the back and then it rips through him and and he just explodes into flames yeah he like he like uh flips through the sky with a torsion of the chain like (laughs) unraveling oh man that's so funny so intense and the writer you know, he goes, oh, come with me now. The dead don't rest. Great line. And it's so amazing. It's so goosebumps. And the dead don't rest. He just, like, pulls Bran out of that sled and drapes him over the horse. And yeah, Mira's like, right whoa. Down. Like, that's ex- that's pretty extreme strength. Yeah, definitely. And it, um, I was looking at his hand when he reaches down to pull Mira up as well because um, oh, cold hands yeah yeah the, you know, much like the play condenses storylines like Tyrion and Baelish into one character Tyrion we talked about um, a couple episodes ago how the books do this the show does the same thing for the books this is one of those moments where they combine this the the character of Benjen Stark with another character from the books who um, I'll just say is a character that's north of the wall who has cold hands so I was looking and at his hands. I mean, just for my knowledge, aren't they black? Aren't his hands black? I think so, yes. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I was looking at the color of cold of uh Benjen's hands to see what they looked like. <laughs> A Did lot you of people see? were before I didn't we got look. the reveal. I forgot. They they were kind of shadowed. Okay. But before okay. we got the reveal that it was Benjen, people are like, yeah. Oh yeah, there's a uh there's I guess a, a manuscript of one of the books where when an editor was overlooking the the book um, before the final copy was sent out. I can't remember which one it was. He had given like a, a, the draft back to George R. R. Martin with a question attached: "Is Cold Hands Benjamin Stark?" <laughs> and oh. uh, and George had written no. So, so oh. no, they're not the same person in the books. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I love that line though. Like you said, the dead don't rest just so epic. And he's, he's got like that Northern accent too, which is really great because it's so, it's so opposite of what we talk about when people die. Like, may they rest in peace. Right. Yeah, that's true. And now he's saying here, like the dead don't rest. Like we got to get going. So Mira trusts him. She gets hoisted up onto the back of the horse and they take off through the forest with the whites pursuing them rather quickly. Woof. And we cut to, you know, a different scene. But fast forward towards the end of the episode, they are clearly in some type. They've gone far enough to not be in any immediate danger. Yep. 
and they can stop and rest and get some rabbit blood tea going. Oh, that was so gnarly. <laughs> it's so gross. My dad used to drain the blood from mice like that into test tubes at his, at his job doing ew. diabetes research. Yeah, I know. It's it just that's like crazy. that on a smaller scale, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And so then he, you know, they're looking at him and he's all covered up. And Mira's like, why did you help us? Yeah, what the fuck? And I thought this was interesting. He goes, the three-eyed raven sent for me. It's like, how does the three-eyed raven send messages? Does he do it through the children of the forest? Does he tap into people's like subconscious and be like, yo, (laughs) go get Brandon Stark for me? Yeah, good question. (laughs) So I thought I wanted to think, you know, like ask you what your thoughts were on how, what, what's Benjamin Stark's relationship with the three-eyed raven? I feel like they well he said that the children of the forest discovered him before he was killed basically and reversed the white walker magic and prevented it from taking hold so he's been connected to the children of the forest for years at this point so my bet is that oh, he's, he's visited the the, the tree raven before he's been waiting for brand to show up also maybe that's where they took him when they first found him. Yeah, he's probably been playing it safe, just, you know, trying to stay alive until Bran gets there so he can help. Uh, explains why he never came back to Castle Black. And John. He saves John, too. Yeah, John as well, yes, coming up uh, next season. And then he's filled his fulfilled his purpose, which maybe the Three-Eyed Raven told him. Mm-hmm. Because he sacrifices himself to save John. Right. And he, he had plenty of room on that horse <laughs> for two. Plenty. He puts three people on the horse here. right here in this yeah. scene. And he can't jump on with John. And they're all Jon Snow sized. Like, <laughs> Bran and Mira. They're both tiny yeah. like John. But maybe that's the purpose that he had. and It's like Hodor fulfilling his purpose up just to yeah. hold that door so Mira can get a little further. I guess that's what Brent Benjen needed to do. Well, and I mean, Benjen's like half, he's half dead. So, I mean, like what's his, he's going to live a pretty long, miserable, immortal life. Yeah. He's, it's, he's kind of like John where I, like where I feel John has been, his death has been staved off, but only temporarily so he can fulfill a purpose. And I don't think Benjen can go on the other side of the wall. Yeah. It's entirely possible too. If, if magic prevents the whites and white walkers from getting past, then that might apply to Benjen as well, especially if he's undead, which it's yeah. unclear if he is or not. He's like half dead. Well, he has a piece of dragon glass in his heart. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say he's alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Mira's like, but he's dead. And yeah, Raven's dead. No, now he lives again. And, and then immediately Bran comes out of a vision. Yep. Oh, and I love this. When he started saying this, when I was a first time viewer, I knew who it was. Immediately. <laughs> immediately. Yeah. So when I epic. saw you, you were a boy, a fearless boy. You loved to climb the castle walls and frighten his mother. Yes. I was like, oh, that's such a great one. <laughs> I was like, it's Benjamin Stark. Oh my God. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, totally. Because <laughs> I loved yeah. Uncle Benjamin. Like, right. he was, I loved him when I was a first time viewer. He's so cool with John and everything. Yeah, and then he just like kind of truly disappears from the show. Yeah. So I was super excited when he came back. That's what Bran, his response is. He's like, who are you? And he pulls off his 
his face mask thing and he's like oh my god uncle benjamin the last letter john wrote me said you had been lost beyond the wall and that's like when he was acting lord of winterfell basically yeah. the last letter that john sent him before shit hit the fan yeah it's crazy he remembers it like that clearly you know because it's such a such terrible news yeah absolutely i mean his uncle was lost that's hardcore yeah so we get the story um that he was ranging the party which is exactly what he was doing um yep when he rode off from john and the white walkers found them and he got stabbed in the gut with a sword of ice yep we've seen that before Mm-hmm. And the children found him and stopped the walker's magic by plunging a dragon glass shard into his heart, which is really intense. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious. So the reason he didn't turn full white walker, even though it was like the same, well, I guess we don't know if it was the exact same ceremony. Could be yeah, a ceremony close to it because we didn't see it. Um, but I'm wondering if because he was killed by Night King magic or White Ooh. Walker magic that I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out why he's not a total White Walker. Yeah, I guess the the dragon glass stopped it. But the dragon glass is how it created the Night King. Yeah, I. I equated it to a discovery that my sister made at Connecticut college when she was studying cocaine where the, uh, she discovered that if you don't have schizophrenia, cocaine can induce symptoms of schizophrenia on you. But if you do have schizophrenia, it can eliminate symptoms of schizophrenia. So it seems like the kind of, kind of the same thing here with dragon glass. Like if you're not a white Walker, <laughs> it can make you a white Walker. But if you are turning into a white Walker, it can stop it. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, it's it's very strange, but yeah. it's a cool it's a cool idea, and I like the um this the story of it, and I'm glad we get to see Benjen again. Yeah, really good to see Benjen. Yeah, and so Benjen tells he's the one to tell Bran that he's the Three Eyed Raven now. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. You are the Three Eyed Raven now. You saw it yourself. This, you know, it was I was cured basically the same way the walkers weren't made in the first place dragon glass <laughs> yeah and so benjen starts to walk over and looks brand basically straight in the eye he's like you really need to learn how to control this stuff before the night king comes yeah uh and hands him a glass of rabbit blood tea oh it's Gross. so good but it was so it's, it's just um it's just a, a scene that we was really unexpected the um first time i thought bran and mira were gonna die yeah like, <laughs> i think a lot of people probably thought that that would have sucked man hodor's death would have been in vain to just everybody vain. Died. it's like basically the red wedding all over where like all the cool all the heroes just die for no reason it's basically how season every episode of season eight is gonna be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, it, uh, he has a really epic speech at the end there, too. His final lines of the scene and the last line of the episode. Uh, he's he's telling Bran like, about how he needs to be prepared and how the Night King is going to come. And he says, one way or another, he will find his way to the world of men. When he does, you will be there waiting for him. Mm. And you will be ready. And I was like, damn. So ominous. Yeah. 
Ah, you damn. Would be ready. Yeah, that's so epic. And uh, I thought it was really like the it, it was just a beautiful shot. Also, looking at Bran as he's absor- absorbing this information, and um, the snow is just falling onto them, and it's like collecting all over their hair. He and Mira as they're huddled close together, and I just thought it looked really, really nice, beautiful cinematography as always. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. it definitely has that like unsaturated filter yeah yeah where everything's like kind of bleak and <laughs> it's very gloomy and yeah totally barren <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely. Nice. do you have anything else you want to add about our dear uncle benjen i think that's pretty much it for benjen for me okay what's your what are we on i your think number it's four? my number four i think yeah yeah it is my number four is the theft of Heartsbane. Ooh. And uh, we can talk just a little bit. We might as well just get all the, all the Tarly stuff out of the way. We didn't talk okay. about um, arriving to, Hard, to um, Horn Hill before. So let's start with that. Okay, yeah. Why don't we just talk about the Tarleys? Yeah. So Sam is rambling, running his mouth. Just about <laughs> fucking trees. Yeah, just uncontrollably. Maple. About poplar. <laughs> Elm beach shrimp. Yeah, I just gonna say <laughs> fried shrimp, uh shrimp gumbo. Popcorn shrimp. <laughs> yeah. So funny. And Gurvy's like Gurvy. Gurvy. Gilly's like, you're nervous. You're a nervous talker. And he's like, oh, and like shuts up. It's better and, than being a nervous mute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so funny, Gilly with the great lines. We kind of get to see, like, I. this is no pun intended, like, a little wild side with Gilly. Like, yeah. she's fiery, you know, like, her personality yeah, is coming out now that she's out of Castle Black. A little fight in you. I like that. <laughs> is that a Joker reference? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so, uh, Sam is... He gives a little monologue, a little exposition monologue for the casuals to remind remind everybody what the dynamic is here, that his dad's an asshole and that he's treated poorly. He's going on and on about how he he didn't think he'd ever come back here after his father made him renounce his title and inheritance and, well, threatened to kill him if he didn't. (laughs) A person just doesn't feel welcome at that point, (laughs) which is a hilarious line. So, yeah, we learned that Randall was hardcore. He didn't keep him in maester chains, but he kept him chained up when he told him that he had told him that he wanted to be maester. So mm. pretty hardcore. That's crazy. Yeah. So and he's like, I don't I don't even know what to tell them. Bringing like a little kid and Gilly and everything. And Gilly's like, tell them that little Sam is your baby. <laughs> and he's like, yes, that is key. Basically, if as long as Randall thinks that little Sam is his grandchild, He'll let you in. Sam will learn to read and get educated and you'll have a place to be where you're safe, essentially. And Gilly's like, uh, so what did you tell them about me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I, like I'm know. kind of dressed in rags and look a little, you know, worn yeah, out. Rugged, <laughs> worn out. Yeah, he, he kind of dodges the question and she's like, you didn't tell them that I'm a wildling. And he was like, it, it was a very... It's a very small piece of parchment, you know. What I, mean? <laughs> I, know. I wrote the Raven on, you know. When I st- he's like, plus my father, you know, kind of doesn't like the wildlings. He, he hoped I'd make a man of myself at the wall by killing some bloody wildlings. So it's probably a good subject to avoid, if at all possible. 
<laughs> Gilly just like looks out the window. Yeah. She's and like, we, oh, yeah, okay, she's that's like, kind of scary. And we know that as soon as he says, pretty good idea to avoid that subject, we know it's going to get brought up, you know? Of course. Telegraphing that. Love it. I thought it was going to get brought up right away because of what she was wearing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. She kind of got that handled with uh, Tala and Melissa, though. What's they, your color? Yeah, she's Midnight so blue. overwhelmed by that. She's like, oh, my God. And so she's looking out the window, like you said, and she's like, I think we're here. And we get a, a glimpse, a glimpse, glimpse. We get a glimpse of Horn Hill. And it's so pretty. Yeah. How beautiful is that? Just mega sized imposing on that little hilltop there. Really cool. Nice castle. Yeah. Um, oh, but I thought the other thing was funny. The Gilly is like, I think we're here. And I'm like, yes, Gilly. Technically, you're always here. Wherever you are is here. So, yes. Very oh, yeah. <laughs> her, her grammar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought the sea was called the sea because it's the sea as far as the eye can see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> silly Gilly. Oh, silly Gilly flower. Yep. So we get that big ass massive castle and I, I thought it was kind of cool. I paused on a still screen of the view as the carriage is riding down the, the road towards the castle. And there's a technique that they used to use in filmmaking called front screen projection, where you have like a, a picture of a background that you want to use and you have a set and you angle a screen uh, at 45 degrees from the camera and you project onto that screen an image of the backdrop that you want to um to uh to show basically and uh it's it's sort of like it, they used it stanley kubrick used it to film 2001 a space odyssey and the moon landing footage and um <laughs> <laughs> conspiracy theory <laughs> and uh they're doing the same thing here basically there's a clear line of delineation that separates the foreground which is actually a real real environment with a real carriage moving down a real road and the background which looks like um like a nice painting of this uh fantasy villa uh which was kind of cool it's like modern day superimposed digital front screen projection <laughs> yeah which is just kind of neat so that was kind of cool and then we uh we get to the courtyard and people are kind of lined up <laughs> to, as they walk in which is kind of funny and gilly is like oh my God, like blown away by the scale of this. Like, remember how Egret was like, Oh, is that a castle? When they saw the windmill. Yeah. And John Snow's like, <laughs> We had towers at Winterfell five times that height. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Gilly's never seen anything like this before. You know? No, not so, at all. She's so, never left Craster's keep. Yeah. So her mind is just blown at the sheer scale and capability and like prestige of the the construction and architecture and just, it's like just audacious and magnificent and grand beyond anything she ever could have imagined. I'm sure. And she, she just looks like totally mind blown at the enormity and everything she's seeing. And uh, it, the mom and sister come down the stairs and they go back and forth. Oh, 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 <laughs> I was just like, they say, Oh, a lot. Oh, Oh my. Oh, Oh, and this is our son, Samuel. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he hugs his mom and they're so happy to see each other. And and he turns and sees his sister and he's like, Tala? And he like legit looks like he doesn't even recognize her. Right. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was funny sure. too. It, it looked like he didn't even notice she was standing there because he like, oh, like, <laughs> when oh. he turns and sees her like, oh, like I didn't realize you were there. Just kind of oh. funny. Oh, 
Oh. Yeah. Oh, mother. Yeah. Oh. And that's Hello, when mother. we get the uh, line about having her having to marry Simon Foss away. And he has yellow teeth. Yeah, it was kind of funny. And there's that's that's a cool line for book readers. I think there's two halves of the Fossaway family in the books. There's the green apple Fossaways and the red apple Fossaways, like they're sigils. And uh, they play an important role in the third chapter of the Duncan Egg novellas, I believe, at a, at a trial by combat, a trial oh. by seven, where it's like a seven versus seven trial by combat, basically. And uh, yeah, some of the Fossaways are involved there. It's pretty interesting, the dynamic between the two. Red Apple on one side of the fight, Green Apple on the other side of the fight as chosen champions. Pretty, one of them betrays the other side and like turns coat at the last minute. It's pretty intense. Oh, damn. Yeah. Drama. Fossaway drama for sure. So it's nice to see that, that Melissa and Tala are very welcoming and warm to Gilly. And they introduce themselves and Melissa's telling her how lovely she is. And it seems like Sam and Gilly rehearsed Gilly's uh, response a little bit. She's like, I am happy to know you, Lady Tarly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like that's what practiced. Sam told her to say. Yeah. So funny. And immediately Melissa, uh, Tala seems to take a liking to her. And uh, then, oh, they point out that this is our son, Samwell. And... Melissa's thrilled to have a grandchild. Hello, little one. It's Hello, me. Hello, little one. Your it's grandmother. Me. <laughs> so funny. I love little Sam. He's yeah. so cute. And I, you know, he like kind of smiles at her. It's like perfect timing because he's at an age of difficult act. Like I couldn't imagine trying to get Justin to do something like that. Right. And I felt like, um, I felt like he looked a lot like the little White Walker kid too. The one that oh. gets turned, I thought that the like the, the casting did. was good. They look kind of similar. Interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> maybe it's the same kid. Oh my god! Two years later. Time time loops. <laughs> so <laughs> laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam's mom is holding <laughs> little Sam, and uh, Tala is talking with Gilly. And uh, I liked Melissa's sentiment here to the baby. She's like, you have a curious mind to the little one. She's like, you're going to be a scholar like your father. She's so proud of Sam. She's so proud of Sam. Yeah, even though uh, Randall is not, she sees the value in Sam. She very well should be. Sam is a nice man. He is educated. He's kind. I mean, like, he's not a warrior, but... I mean, like, he kind of is, though, when he needs to be. He has a, he has a good soul. You know, she did well raising him. He's and chivalrous. She be proud. And yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I agree. So, yeah, she is proud. That's good. And then Sam is so scared. He's like, um, where is, where is father and Dickon? <laughs> he's so nervous to see them. And uh, she tells him they're on a hunt and everything and that they'll join him for dinner. And he's like, oh. <laughs> he looks so nervous. It's great. Shuddering. Yeah. And that's when Tala's like, oh, come on, Gilly. You'll be wanting a bath and a dress. And what's your favorite color? You can wear one of mine. Yeah, and Gilly just like looks so overwhelmed. She's like, um, I have no idea what you mean. What is my color? Yeah. You can choose one of my bedrooms if you want. <laughs> She's got like a dozen She's bedrooms She's like happy to have a sister like, yeah, totally. figure. 
Because I think it's just it's Samwell, Dickon, and Tala, right? That's just the three. Yeah, he yep, doesn't have I any more so. siblings. Yep. Yeah, so I'm sure she's excited to have another girl her close to her age there. Definitely. She's like a best friend. Yeah, she's got someone to to you know, run around with and do stuff, and another girl to play with. So we get to see Gilly before dinner in her new dress that Tala let her wear. She looks so awkward. Yeah, she stiffly walks out. She looks like a girl out of the Napoleon Dynamite prom. (laughs) That's great. That's so funny. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And Sam is just like, oh, my. Like, you know, you look, you look so beautiful. You're beautiful. And nice little moment between the two of them. Yeah, so then it goes to the dinner thing, and we'll skip that since we already talked about it. But after dinner... The guest chamber. Yes, the guest chamber. It cuts to Sam and Gilly. So they didn't even put Sam in his old room. Oh, maybe Sam is in his own room. Yeah, it's it's uh, probably just for Gilly here, I imagine. Yeah. It'd be so taboo to have them stay together. Yes, they aren't married, but yeah. they do have a child together. Allegedly. <laughs> which is which is pretty taboo in itself. And uh, especially because he's a night's watchman. Right. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Uh, like Randall must not have been stoked about this. You violated the oath of your watch and I'm surprised, surprised he, he didn't say he could all. execute him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um yeah, so Gil- uh, Sam is apologizing to Gilly. I'm, I'm sorry I let him treat you that way. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm uh, sorry my father is such a fucking bigot. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I'm not angry at you. I'm angry that horrible people can treat good people that way and get away with it. And such a great sentiment. She's a good person. And totally. She's like, when do you have to go? First light. <laughs> and no. he's he's like so sad. He can't even say bye to little Sam. He's like about to cry. Say goodbye to little Sam for me. And he like runs out. Oh, it's like, so sad. Yeah, Gilly grabs him and she's she's so nice and supportive here. Like really very nice thing to say. She's like, you're not what he thinks you are, Sam. He doesn't know what you are. You know, she's giving him courage and confidence and telling him that he's got value and affirming his existence and he's just like, goodbye, Gilly. And <laughs> leaves. I know, it's so sad. There's a tear dripping down his face. And she walks over to little Sam, and she's reaching down and touching him. And a few seconds go by, and the camera angle cuts back to the wide angle where we see the door that he left from. And Gilly's standing by the, the crib at the other side of the room. And I'm like, oh, he's coming back. This camera angle's foreshadowing it. And boom, the doors kick open. <laughs> and he comes in smiling. And uh, she's like, what are you doing, Sam? And he's, uh, he's made up his mind. He's made a decision here, you know? And he's like, he's like, we belong together. All of us. And great big smile across his face, which is awesome. And then it cuts to the, to the dining hall again. And uh, Gilly's like, well, well, what about your mother and sister? You know, they were excited to have me in here and everything. And Sam's like, oh, they'll understand. <laughs> and they will because they were like <laughs> disgusted. And why would Gilly even want to stay there after this? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. She couldn't possibly feel safe or like, you know, respected or anything like that. So and so she's like, uh, she's very polite, you know, like, oh, we, we don't want to abandon them. And like, what about your, your sister's dress and all that? And while she's saying this sam is is grabbing a stool and stepping up and grabbing heartsbane down and uh gilly's like sam that's your father's sword 
it's my family's sword <laughs> as he brings it down from the mantle and i'm laughing like oh sam you're so funny like you got some balls all of a sudden boy you know and, for sure and gilly's like won't, won't he come for it he can bloody well try <laughs> he's got like great change in attitude man fucking awesome Yes. And I'm like, yes, new Valyrian steel in the mix. Yes. So epic. Who's right. going to wield it? This is important. Who is going to end up with a sword? What if Sam kills the Night King? Oh, that'd be pretty funny. <laughs> with heart Spain. He gets underestimated as usual. And the Night King like turns away from him for a second. And he ah, pulls out Night Spain and <laughs> stabs him with it. That'd be cool. Oh, like, oh, stabs him in the back. Yeah. So what do we have up in the north? We have... Arya, she's got Valyrian steel. We've got John, he's got Valyrian steel. We've got Brienne, he's, she's got Valyrian she's steel. She's got Valyrian, yep. And Heartsbane's on its way back up yep. to Winterfell. To Winterfell. So who else is up there that would be worthy of wielding the sword? I don't think Sam's going to be like, oh, only a Tali can wield this sword. You know, like, I think he's probably going to say, uh, this makes more sense for you to wield while I'm in the background with, with Bran coordinating. I think they're going to... There's going to be a part of season eight where they focus at least some attention on the arsenal of weapons that will be used. Definitely. And I think the dragon that, glass they've been mining. Yeah. Like how many swords they've made of dragon glass, how many Valyrian steel swords that they have. And I think Sam's going to like bring it up to John and in, in his usual. Oh, well, I have a Valyrian steel sword that I stole from my dad. It's right here. Yeah, yeah. And they're probably going to be preparing for some type of battle. Um, and I'm sure the hound will be there or, um, you know, who else is Jorah Mormont? Oh yeah. True. Because he doesn't have, well, cause he doesn't have his family sword. I mean, that's true. he would be another worthy warrior. That's true. I think that he would probably hand it off to Sandor though. He's like, you're much bigger and less ill potentially. <laughs> Although he's been in, he's in good shape recently. Or maybe it's like, what if it's like just in chaos, like they're, they get like ambushed and Sam drops the Valyrian steel sword and like Sandor picks it up and does some crazy shit with it. Maybe. Oh my, you know? I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. With that. I mean, that's all speculation, but the, I, I, it's either going to go down from like a diplomatic, like they're sitting in a room discussing how many Valyrian steel swords they have and how much dragon glass weapons they have. And Sam's going to give it to somebody or it's going to be in a chaotic moment that Sam drops it and they're fighting and someone picks it up and starts kicking ass with it. Yeah, totally. Oh man, I can't wait. It's going to be so mm -hmm. cool. Mm. it's gonna be an epic moment for sure yeah unless they just totally forgot about it and we never see it again i don't think they will because <laughs> it's valyrian steel that's pretty important oh and you know what i love about all these swords what <laughs> they remind me of like 80s rock band names oh <laughs> heart's bane <Yeah>. widow's whale <laughs> heart eater <laughs> you could almost have like trivia like which is a Valyrian steel swords name or an 80s rock band name? <laughs> That's a great idea. We should do that, actually. We could do a series of polls. Yeah, we should do that. That'd be funny. Just totally. to, like, which, which is the sword name and then have a... One of these is a sword. One is an 80s, ba 80s metal band. <laughs> which one is which the one sword? Is sword? <laughs> That's great. 
Yeah, we should do that. Totally. We should get a list of all of the swords names in Game of Thrones. Yep, and all of like the the like hair bands or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Yes. That's yes. a great idea. Nice. <laughs> so I love Sam's attitude here. He can bloody well try to come and take it. And uh yeah, it's just great. He hops down and they're off in the in the night with a new prize and Samuel or, and Randall Tarley never even ends up missing that sword. I wonder if he would have had it at the loot train battle. Otherwise, if he would have been like using it. Um, I don't think so because I think they weren't really anticipating anybody to ambush them. It was just kind uh, of like, true. they're just delivering goods. Basically. They're just delivering goods and the gold happened to be with it. <clears throat> I don't even think Danny knew that the gold was with it. She yeah, was just not. going after the provisions and the Lannisters. Yep. Like she wasn't even thinking that the gold was with it from the Iron Bank or for the Iron Bank was in that whole. Yeah. Loot from train. Uh, from uh, High Garden. Yeah. So I don't think that he would have had. Maybe, though, it seemed like it was pretty well situated up there, like it was on display that he doesn't it's not like his normal sword that he wears on him right yeah I'm, i wouldn't be i'm not sure like maybe if there's like an, if he knows that he's gonna be like in a big battle or something it i might. think that's what it would be like if he's being like deployed to battle but i think to the extent of what they were doing transporting provisions and some gold i don't think he would have taken it with him yeah who knows good question yeah. So he definitely finds out that it's missing, and I'm sure he's pissed, but we don't really hear much about it ever again. Yeah. I hope they don't forget about it. Yeah, yeah, same here. That would suck. The hound's got to end up with it or something. Yeah, it's going to show up. Yeah, so that's it for my number four. How about your number okay. three? What do you got, Lady Rachel? My number three is when Tommen and the High Sparrow join forces. Ooh, okay. Mine is the King's Landing Shame Walk Showdown. So let's start okay. with mine and lead right into yours. Fabulous. Fabulous. All right. So we get a shot of Jamie wearing his armor on a horse in the middle of King's Landing. And the Tyrell army starts approaching. With those ridiculous feathers. Yeah, yeah Mace look, has this huge oh ridiculous feathered helm. <laughs> It's so fucking stupid. And just crazy, like, golden armor. He looks ridiculous. And gives, He's like... such a boob. Yeah, he gives this impassioned speech that falls flat to zero applause. Like, applause. I hear crickets. Yeah. And he's just like, hmm, like to Jamie, like, let's go. Yeah. He, he overuses the word madness a little bit in his speech. Madness has had its day. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Madness has overtaken the city and grasped in its claws my children. <laughs> <laughs> so great. So Marjorie's pulled out on the steps of the sept with the with the high sparrow. I wonder why they didn't slice all her hair off. Yeah, yeah, good question. Maybe because uh She's not doing an, a walk of atonement. Yeah, because this was already planned. Yeah. So he's going through his speech about how everybody must atone, rich or poor, noble or common, and about the sins of Marjorie lying in in the eyes of the gods, like right in front of the gods, inside the holy sept in her testimony, disgracing her house and everything. And I'm wondering, would the High Sparrow have 
if Jamie hadn't shown up, had, would the High Sparrow have gone through with the shame walk? Or was he planning to spare her as a political move to win allegiance from Thomas? But we from Tommen. But we know I we think, end up finding out it was all a plan. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. all a plan. Totally. So all of a sudden, as he's giving this speech, the crowd is like starts going at it, and you hear like talking and discussion, and they part. And Jamie and Mace ride in with their with their horses and their soldiers, stomping. <laughs> left right left right as they they come through and um everybody's like oh shit basically and marjorie even on this up on the steps is like oh my god this is crazy and uh we get to see you know another display of power as the procession comes through and they place down the litter with with the queen of thorns and the captain is like halt face front turn and they're all like like moving and morphing in unison um which is always pretty impressive to see Mm -hmm. it's intense and the high sparrows up there looking down and just casually addresses mace lord tyrell sir jamie you know and jamie has a hilarious line where he's like he's like uh billy madison so sorry to interrupt mr penguin you know i see what's going on here Um, so he's like, sorry to interrupt. We're here for Queen Marjorie and Sir Loris Tyrell. Give them to us and we'll be on our way. And I'm like, damn, that's badass. He's so calm. So, yeah, Confident. so cool. Cool, calm, just like my mom with a couple of Valiums inside her palm. And the oh High Sparrow, <laughs> the High Sparrow is like, I don't have the authority to give them to you. And you don't have the authority to take them. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, Fuck. this is intense. And, uh, like, everyone's like, oh, in the crowd. And the army, like, oh, you know, it's like everything is, like, ramping up the intensity. And Jamie kicks his horse and rides up the steps there. And after you mentioned the CG of adding Jamie's head onto it. Did you I, see it? I looked a little more carefully and noticed it this time. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. But they did a pretty good job. They did. I mean, it's just... I just noticed it, you know. What a stunt, too, with a horse. That's like, it was so intense. It's not easy to get a four-legged creature up a flight of stairs. Yeah, I imagine so. Like, uh, they... It's very awkward for them. Having to watch their back legs, like, yeah. Yeah, You can't see your back legs, so you don't know what steps they'd be on and everything. Yeah, it must be pretty awkward. Really great stunt. I thought it came out beautifully. Very much so. Such a power move. And I love the scenery behind, like down, you can see down into Blackwater Bay almost. Like So epic. Really cool. Imagine how cool it would have been if he had just sliced down the High Sparrow. (laughs) I wish he would have. Yeah. Uh, But really just amazing moment. He rides up and everyone just gasps, like, what is happening? I know. He's so knightly here. Yeah. Like a hero. Yeah, totally. So gallant. Like, really. Great really. word. That's a perfect word for it. Yeah. And he's like, I speak for King Tommen of House Baratheon, first of his name. And the High Sparrow again, the gods don't recognize his authority in this matter. And uh, plus, I have him hiding behind yeah, me. Yeah, 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 totally. And Jamie's like, dude, this is not gonna fly. Like, you've already disrespected one of the great houses of Westeros, and <laughs> that's it. Like, it's not happening again. So, either hand over Marjorie and Loris, or every last sparrow will die. You know, there, every uh, last one of you will die before Marjorie walks down that street. You hear me? And, uh, 
Those are some fighting words. Yeah, and the High Sparrow gives it right back to him. To die in the service of the gods would please each and every one of us. We yearn for it. Okay, then line up. Let's yeah. go. And there's like, it pauses for a moment and the crowd is just, everybody's like absorbing what's happening here as the tension just skyrockets and you're just waiting for the command to be given, basically attack, you know, or something. And the high sparrow is just like letting it, letting it settle for a minute, letting it ramp up. And he switches it on him on Jamie switches it on us all, but there is no call for it today. There will be no walk of atonement. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like, Oh my God, what is this scandalous you know, stuff? And, uh, mm-hmm. Everybody's freaking out and Olena is like looking at Mace and everything. And Mace has no clue what's going on. Yeah. Mace orders the captain to have the soldiers stand down basically. So they sort of lift up their spears and go into like a less aggressive stance. And we learn that according to the High Sparrow, Marjorie has already atoned for her sins. She doesn't need to walk in shame because she's already atoned by bringing another into the true light of the seven. And that's oh when the God. doors start to open, the big giant sex doors. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Tom and little Tom and emerges with like five or six Kings guard. I love how little he does look. Cause it's like this giant door and it's like this little tiny young kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like the like, champion with of these Marine. big knights towering over him. Yeah, totally. It makes me think of, um, Olena in the books has two giant, twins these knights that um like guard her at all times basically oh and cool they're like big massive twins and she doesn't even know their names she just called calls them left and right <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah that's great and so he comes out and the high sparrow is talking about how together they're announcing a new age of harmony a holy alliance between the crown and the faith and tom and walks over to Marjorie and takes her hand and it looks like it's all been planned out already. She just like, uh, like takes his hand and walks with him and the crowd is cheering and people are screaming and Tommen looks at Jamie and Jamie's like, no, 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 no. What the fuck are you doing? It's ominous. And Tommen like looks, looks away from him and looks down at the crowd and gives his puny little, like <laughs> the crown and the faith are the twin pillars upon which the world rests. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Together we will restore the seventh kingdom to glory, Glyvan. <laughs> and an ominous Baratheon theme plays mm-hmm. with a couple of notes of tension added in. Between the two uh, halves of the, of the melody, basically. And the crowd is cheering, and Mace, clueless as ever, like you're saying, says to Olena, what what is going on here? (laughs) Mom, what's happening? (laughs) He's beating us, you imbecile. That's what's happening. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Yeah, and the High Sparrow's just like, hee hee hee, like sneering at Jamie, and Jamie's like, fucking motherfuckers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frickin' miserackin' motherfuckin', you know. And then it cuts to the next scene where Jamie is being removed from the King's guard. I know. Yeah. Remember <sighs> Jamie was like, well, as long as we get Marjorie back and, you know, by Tom inside, he's not going to care, you know, <laughs> but it didn't, nothing went as planned and it's coming no. back to bite him on the butt as he is essentially dishonorably discharged from the King's guard for going against the crown. And, mm. uh, 
it sort of parallels Joffrey removing Barristan from the Kingsguard, yes. who was also the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard at that time. So this is like the second one that's been removed in like a short amount of time. Yeah, unprecedentedly so, I believe. Yeah, you said it was very, it's, it's, I mean, it can happen, but it's rare. Yeah, I, yeah I'm not sure if it ever had happened before um, the removal of Barristan. I'm not sure. Hmm, okay. But uh, Jamie's like, I've been in the Kingsguard since before you were born. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do anything, not while you're sitting in that chair. And Tommen is just like so brainwashed. He's like, I, I have to answer to the gods, you know? <laughs> He's like, no, you don't. Yeah, Not like, at all. what is wrong with you? And I like his uh, how he kind of flips it on there on Tom in there. He's like, you're basically saying you're acting like the High Sparrow dude. He's like, will I be walking naked in the streets, or will I spend a few months in the Sept's dungeons first to teach me about the gods' mercy? And Kevin and Tom and look at each other like, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Not a bad idea. Yeah, he's like the you know the crown's decision on this matter is final. He's being all formal. You've served your house and your king faithfully, and you will continue to do so, but not in this city. Like, you're banished, bitch. You're <laughs> going back to Castor- Casterly Rock. Yeah, and Tom and Ura and Tywin would be so happy about this. Yes. <laughs> like, if Tywin was around, he would have suggested it to Tommen. I was, gonna, I was just thinking that. <laughs> I think Tywin would have suggested this to Tommen. Even in death, Tywin Lannister gets his way. Ugh, bastard. Yep. So funny. So that's it for my number three. Okay. There's a Game of Thrones ice hotel. Oh, yeah. You see, you saw that? Yeah, that's crazy. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that'd be cool to go to the, what, like, the Night King is, like, ugh, ominously looming over your bed as you're mm, sleeping in your creepy. ice bed. Yeah, that place looks cool. There's a series of just cool ice hotels like that in general over there northern europe yeah so yeah that's it for my number three and we covered okay. your number three as well right that we kind of did them together there yeah that those are that was both of our number threes yeah cool so what's your number two did we go over my number two already um what was it aria it poisons the rum we ended where she poisoned the rum and the play ended Okay. Okay. Fabulous. So this is my number two. Also, a girl makes a choice. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I just, I, my, the main focus of my number two is when she decides to push it out of her hand. Yes. That's the choice I'm talking about too. Yeah. But I've, I started my number two just when she's backstage and Lady Crane, um, sees Aria and she recognizes her. And she's like, um, how many times have you been here? <laughs> and Arya's like, uh, three. <laughs> yeah. Did you pay? <laughs> she Arya's smiles. like, uh, no. Mm, no. no I <laughs> and I like it because Arya's already kind of intrigued with Lady Crane. Yeah. And she can't like wa- just walk away like she should. She has to stay and talk. She's so intrigued when yeah. Lady Crane makes contact. She's just drawn to her and she can't walk away at first. <laughs> Yeah, so Lady Crane relates to her. She goes, girl, I used to do it too. No worries. Yeah, <laughs> I used to sneak so in funny. all the time because I wanted to, you know, see the plays and when they came to my village. And She's like, you know, I, I listened to the songs. I saw the painted faces, the costumes. I cried when the young lovers died in each other's arms. 
I ran off and joined them the next day. Never looked back. And it reminded me of the premise of the HBO show Barry. Are you familiar with that at all? <laughs> no, so no, I'm not. Arya is is a like a hitman basically, and she's showing up to kill this bitch who's in this play. And she's sort of getting talked into potentially becoming an actress here. Um, and that's that's basically the premise of of Barry. This guy, Barry, who's oh. a hitman played by Bill Hader. He's assigned to kill a guy in an acting class. Oh, how funny. <laughs> and he joins the acting class to get close to him to, for an opportunity to kill him. But then he ends up just really wanting to be an actor. You know, so it's, maybe that <laughs> was the inspiration. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's entirely possible. <laughs> Nice. So Lady Crane starts talking to Arya and she she goes, my final speech is shit. And Arya's like, well, not really. I mean, like, it would all just be like kind of stupid without you. Like, you're really good yeah, at what you do. It, it'd all just be farting, belching and slapping without you. Yeah. And Arya goes, well, if you don't like it, change it. Yeah. And I like the sentiment, Lady Crane. She goes, well, how would you change it? She doesn't think to herself, like, oh, how could I change it? She goes, well, what would you do? And yeah, very interesting. Arya knows Cersei. Mm -hmm. So she's thinking back at, like, how Cersei kind of responds to things. Yep. And, you know, we all know this about Cersei, that the queen loves her son more than anything. And he was taken from her, like, right in front of her before she could do anything about it. Mm -hmm. She would be fucking pissed furious livid now i'm livid let's go <laughs> yeah she would want to kill the person that did this to her and we know because we've seen yeah. this happen that she did get pissed i mean she was mourning and then she turned to terry and she's like you did this yeah furious and uh i thought it was so funny lady crane's like well how would you change it and i'm like lucky you lady crane some insight from someone who actually knows these mofos yeah, who, like, knows yeah. Cersei personally <laughs> who can give you some insight into her real character and lady crane goes what's your name and aria chooses mercy yeah as her name which she ends up giving lady crane at the end of the scene yeah which i found very interesting yep she's made her decision here i believe yeah yeah, yeah. well not quite here not quite here I mean, a little, well, her her name's Mer she here. names herself mercy right you'll you'll that's true but um sometimes like uh yeah that's true yeah maybe she maybe she has made her decision at this point maybe she's subconsciously made her decision yes, i at think this it was point. subconscious like she uses the word because that's a you don't hear the name mercy very often right and it's kind of an odd name and, and especially a, for the situation it, for this situation makes perfect sense she has mercy she like ends up having mercy on uh, on the actress like you said yeah so subconsciously, she plays god I here like, yeah I have a like some another some like interesting interpretation of these questions that Lady Crane asks her here. Okay. So, so Lady Crane is is not satisfied with the script that she's following, doing her job here, and she asks Arya, "How would you change it?" Right, and then she asks Arya, "What's your name?" And then she asks Arya, "Do you like pretending to be other people?" So these three questions are all <gasps> relevant to Arya on a, on oh a whole God. other level, right? Yeah. Arya is following the script of being supposed to supposed to be killing Lady Crane. So she, the the idea of altering the script is suggesting to Arya that she doesn't have to follow through with the script she's been given necessarily by oh. the faceless men. 
Then That's crazy. Yeah. Then asking, what's your name? This is an interesting question because what is Arya's name? That's the focus of the problem right now. And whether yeah. or not she determines to poison Lady Crane is going to determine in part the answer to this question. Is Arya no one? Like she would be if she follows through and blindly kills Crane without making any uh, moral decision on her own? Or is she Arya Stark? So like you said, Mercy hints that she will remain Arya Stark, but she doesn't directly answer that quite yet. So I feel like this is the moment when she's going to have to decide. She's going to have to make that decision right now. What's your name? Are you Arya Stark or are you no one? Like this is the, uh, the moment of truth, basically. So we get those two questions. And then we get the third question. Do you like pretending to be other people? And this is very relevant because that's basically what Arya does. That's exactly what she's doing. With the, uh, yeah, with being no one. That's what you're doing is you're assuming a series of identities, pretending to be people when you are actually no one. So all of these questions are deeper questions for Arya about her situation that she's in right now and the decision that she's going to have to make. Is she going to follow through with the script is she going to join the faceless men once and for all, or is she going to retain her identity? So how would you change the script? What's your name? And do you like pretending to be other people? Like, are you going to follow your instructions? Who are you? Are you no one or are you Aria? And are you satisfied with pretending to be other people forever and never having your own identity? So yeah. really, really poignant questions. It's time for Arya to decide if she wants to keep playing games, pretending to be other people at the House of Black and White, or if she's Arya Stark, and it's time to kick some ass. She wants to be Arya. Yeah. Good call. I like that. Thanks. And right at this moment, she's not quite ready to answer yet, but we get an answer very quickly. Yep. I love this. You have very expressive eyes, Mercy. Yeah. And it's so true. Maisie Williams has the most expressive eyes and I love it. She goes, amazing eyebrows. She's got some wild eyebrows. She has the best eyebrows. I love them. (laughs) So the conversation kind of continues. Aria's like, she's like, I have to go. Yeah, she dodges the question. She's not ready to answer yet and she bails. She's like, I gotta get out of here. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, this is too awkward. And then we get Bianca and you know, so Bianca comes in and she's like, Lady Crane, they loved you. <laughs> Drunkenly sweet they are. Yeah. <laughs> and they're taking off their wigs and is Izzy Izimbaro? Is that how you say Izimbaro? Is that his name? Yeah, one of those guys. Which one is that? Oh, that's the uh, that's the guy who played T- Tywin. Tywin, right? yeah. He's like, no laugh for Ned's death. These people are worse than animals. <laughs> right. But everyone loves Lady Crane. Yeah, he's like, yeah, but they all loved her. Like, he's mad at Lady Crane for being good and talented. Everyone's jealous of Lady Crane. Yeah. Yeah, so she's kind of the odd one out. Right. I think they probably kind of gang up on her. So, <laughs> Lady Crane is thinking like, well, so I wanted to kind of change my script and the guy, the other guy just like, shuts her down yeah he's so pissed he goes full to the tits with ideas are we and everyone has ideas why should my ideas or my values or yours why would this matter like we're reciting scripts i got the impression that he Um, wrote it i like how they're all wearing wigs (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. all like taking off their wigs in this scene. <laughs> yeah, that's always fun. So he's taking off his wig. Lady Crane's sitting at her little armoire. I don't even know what to call it. Yeah. And she brings the glass of rum up to her lips. Yeah. And there's a couple times where she does this and it's like, is she going to drink? And <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then she and puts, then she it, puts back it back down. down. Like, oh, man. And then she does it again. And Arya slaps it out of her hand yeah. and looks, looks over at Bianca. Careful of that one. She wants you dead. It and just right fucking walks out. Yeah. It basically <laughs> saying like, oh, yeah. Telling like telling the actress without telling her mm-hmm. like i was here because i was assigned to poison your wine your, your rum yeah when she slaps that drink out of her hand i have written down <sighs> a girl makes a choice <laughs> a girl makes a choice yeah. nice yeah and the waif is there yeah the waif She's sees so it all fucking go down. creepy the waif is so creepy <laughs> she is she's so wafy creepy (laughs) uh yeah uh yeah (laughs) oh my god it sounds like such a ballet girl sometimes i love that part i was like oh man these are great i started like (laughs) when i remembered to grab them uh yeah uh yeah uh yeah uh yeah (laughs) so we kind of cut over to the house of black and white and Arya has made her decision to your point yes. she's going to get needle yes, yes. oh man <laughs> so great um so we cut back over to jack and hagar and he's cutting the face off a corpse oh, oh my god he's basically like a low-key version of ramsey bolton here yeah like skinning people and oh. he goes to the wave or the wave goes to him just as I expected. Yep. She didn't follow through with it, basically. She fucking waffled. Yeah, and Jackin's like, damn it. She had a lot of gifts, that one. Yeah. Well, man, that's... A girl... Uh, well, a girl had many gifts. It's, a, it's interesting, too, because they call killing the gift, giving the gift, right? Mm-hmm. So Arya has many gifts. Maybe, like... Maybe uh, uh, that means, like, she has the potential to kill a lot of people. A lot of people. <laughs> but he says a girl, so he could be referencing the waif here. Uh, it's, yeah, it's possible. And so he starts peeling the face off the corpse, which uh. is so gross. Um, and the waif goes, you promised me. So they've talked about killing Arya before. Yeah. And he goes, don't let her suffer. Oh. And I, you know, was thinking this could be... He could be referencing the wave here because when Arya puts the wave's bloody face, which, by the way, we'll get into in that scene, but yeah. she doesn't clean her body because it's a bloody face on the wall. Oh, um, interesting. Jockin doesn't seem like disappointed. He actually seems like this is the way it should have panned out. So I yeah. feel like he's kind of alluding to the wave that he's talking about Arya, but he's actually talking about the wave. Interesting. I thought it was interesting how a couple times here, the wave uses the first person where instead of like saying you promised a girl or as a girl expected, she says, as I expected. And then you promised me. So as, as mm-hmm. these people aren't supposed to have an identity, there shouldn't be an I or a me. So it sort of signals that she's not really like one of the faceless men in at heart. It seems to me. That's true. Good point. 
little things, but I, it, it could also just be little like goofs in the writing, you know, True. <laughs> it's hard to say. True. I would think that they would be very careful about that though. in the way that Jockin speaks, a girl would think so that whole, I think George R. R. Martin would be, and the writers of the show would be very careful of the grammar with the house of black and white. I'd hope so. Yeah. I'd hope so. <laughs> I would imagine so with how tedious and detailed the show is. Yeah, yeah. I don't really think they've left many stones unturned like that. Yeah, Arya turns a stone here to get Needle back, which is kind of cool. Yeah, she does. And that's such a big moment too. Like as we talked about how she couldn't throw Needle into the water there, that was symbolic of her inability to shed her Arya Stark identity, um, mm-hmm. foreshadowing this moment where she makes the final decision where she decides that the that she controls the script that she can write it however she wants it she doesn't have to follow anybody's rules she's Arya Stark from Winterfell she's going home motherfuckers and she she's done pretending to be other people for sure and we see that she sits down and starts um you know messing with needle and yeah. she places needle into the ground and then blows out that candle and yep it's so beautiful. It it's so dark. Hiding. Yeah. It's so exciting to get some movement with her plot too. And like something yeah. big like this. Um, I thought it was also kind of interesting that Arya and Theon's identity crises are both mostly wrapped up in terms of Theon, at least the, his first name <laughs> are wrapped up in close proximity to one another within a couple episodes of each other. So I thought that was really good timing. It seems like the resolution of identity crises Theon's identity crisis where he finally comes to and like becomes Theon again, Arya figuring out who she is, what she stands for, solidifying her identity as Arya Stark here. Um, uh, John, it like it being discovered that he is who he is. It seems like like closing up and resolving these, some of these identity crises are indicative of the ending of act two of game of Thrones leading up to the final act you know leading up to the final identity crisis yeah the final <laughs> which John is john revolution. finding out that he's a targaryen yeah exactly <laughs> nice i like that <laughs> so yeah i just thought it was a really great scene really nice. really good scene with Arya making the decision making the choice um riding for house stark finally she's going home she's becoming Arya stark again yeah, great. I mean, she's not quite on her way home yet. She still has to figure out how to stay safe and get out of there because now she's in hiding, like you said. Right. But that's the that's the end game now, though. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. She's decided like you like your point. For <laughs> yeah, she's not quite ready to leave yet. I mean, she, she would if she could, but she's got to figure out that whole thing first. Yeah. In hilarious fashion. <laughs> So is there anything else you want to add to our number two? I think that's pretty much it. How about you? No, I'm good. And I can imagine that maybe we have the same number one. (laughs) Mount your dragons and draw your swords. (laughs) It's game of microphones. It's game of microphones. (laughs) With Lady Rachel. (laughs) And Sir Drogon. (laughs) Yeah, so... I labeled this the rebirth of Drogo. Oh, cool. 
I said that because it really mirrors his speech that he gives oh. after they catch the guy that tries to kill her. Right. When he makes his decision. Yeah, at the Dosh Kaleen. Yeah, yeah. So it really kind of mirrored that and she brings him up in this scene too. So it just it Invokes had that same him. feel of empowering his uh Kalasar and his blood riders like we're going to do something we've never fucking done before. We got to like get hyped up about this. And yeah. I love that she chooses all of them as her blood riders. How yes. badass is that? And what an honor too. They all start wigging out. They're like, <laughs> yeah, to battle. <laughs> like banging their like blades off their chests and stuff. Yes. It's so sick. Yes. They're like screaming and cheering. It's I love so the badass. actors there. Those, those, uh, death Rocky actors were amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. good. It's amazing. Yeah. Ugh. And Drogon. Damn. I read an article or read it somewhere that they asked the... I, I can't remember if they asked George R. R. Martin or if they asked the showrunners to give a perspective like how big Drogon is. And they said they rendered him the size of a 747 oh, man. In, the, in the sky. That's how big he would be. Like... If we were to walk out our door right now and Drogon would be sitting on my driveway, yeah. he would be the size of a 747. He'd be sitting on 10 of your driveways. And Danny's this little tiny silver haired girl, like so sitting cool. on his back. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Some, there's some like illustrations of Balerion, the Black Dread, too, looking just monstrous. And Aegon is like mm. this tiny little like toothpick on his shoulder just a little dollop a little dollop of daisy up there <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> totally so they they dario calculates that she'd need at least a thousand ships to bring her dothraki he said may not it might be more easily yeah 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 totally the dothraki all their horses the unsullied the second sons probably people from marine and stuff who want to follow her as well all her shit yeah, that's a ton of ships. Yeah, for sure. Dario goes on, we ride for Marine, and then after that, we sail to Rust Westeros. Yes. I take what is mine. Ugh. Mine? 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 <laughs> mine? <laughs> what? What do you mean? Were you, were you referencing something? Yeah, if I'm finding Nemo. Oh, okay. <laughs> the yeah. seagulls. I don't I forgot mine? About that. mine? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry right. we watch a lot of pixar movies at this house nice yeah so dario makes the sentiment he's like you're a conqueror like you're not meant to sit in a palace like this is what you're meant to do this is where you're, you shine yeah, and so danny's like um i sense droga yeah, she's having she's <laughs> sensing something around that corner she makes the Wait whole rocky horde stop yeah She's like, everybody hold still. You know, Dario gives the order. The whole Colossar stops. And she's like looking around that corner. She, you can tell and then she's... Jeopardy music starts playing because she's taking forever. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And Dario's <laughs> like, uh... I'm going to go find her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, where the hell did she go? Everyone's starting to get restless. The horses are getting restless. Yeah, it's so funny. A few shots of that. It's great. Yeah. Um, and then... All of a sudden... We hear the... <laughs> Uh. i can't even do i hate doing sound noises like <laughs> i have it in my head but the way it comes out it never sounds the way i want it to <laughs> <laughs> it's great uh, 
Um, yeah, so in flies the 747 with a dollop of Daisy on top. Yes. And it just is amazing. The dollop of Danny. Ah. And she goes into her speech. She lands and Drogon just looks so beautiful, like in a reptilian way. Yeah, just screeches at the crowd a little. And everyone's like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, where did this come from? Uh, yeah, like, it's one thing to hear about it and to hear legends of the Dragon Queen and the widow of the of the Great Call and everything like that. But then to see this. Yeah, it's like, exactly. Wow, what? It's like Tyrion's expression when he first sees Drogon. It's wonder and amazement yeah. and, and what you know, like what an event for the whole kind of fear to too i would be a little afraid right like danny's only ridden the dragon once before this you know what i mean oh it's just like it happened that one time off the cuff in in Daznak's pit the few witnesses but here it's like so this is like the first official time that she's c- can confidently get on him and be like yeah. i've done this before wow i didn't even think about that yeah and she like controls him basically like lands him right in front of the colossar at the head of it and mm. gives her speech and like what an event for she's this. a natural yeah this is like her you know this is nobody could ever question that this is the leader <laughs> you know what i mean and i love how she speaks in dothraki it's such a guttural language and amelia clark does such a great job at it yeah um, really good it's really powerful the way the words kind of cut through the air um it's a harsh language. It's impactful, I guess, is a good word for it. Yeah, totally. And she goes into every call who ever lived chose three blood riders to fight beside him and guard his way. But I am not a call. I will not choose three blood riders. I choose you all. Oh, my God. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> 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 so epic it's amazing what an honor like i mentioned before like this glorious goddess rides in on a dragon and it's like i choose you like how can you not follow her how can you not want to be a part of what she's doing yeah something so monumental and and she has a good cause she has a good cause like right. she's helping people along the way it's like if i were in planetos i would be so team danny right i'm gonna go over here with the three dragons come and come at us <laughs> I'd be terrified of the dragons. <laughs> like as long as as long as Danny has good control over the dragons, I'd be on Team Danny. <laughs> yeah. She's I just like, don't want to be on her bad side. Right, it's kind of like nuclear power. Like it, it's it can accomplish a lot of good, but if shit goes wrong, like the whole northern hemisphere will be radiated. Basically, yes, everybody's gonna die. Yep. These dragons so, yeah. can really fuck shit up if, if you know if they lose control of them. And she basically is honest with them. She's like, "I'm going to ask you to do things that you've never done before, that no Kalasar has ever done before." Yeah. Like, are, basically, are you with me? And she asks all these questions, and oh, so she finally good. gets. She says, "Will you give me the seven kingdoms, the gift, the gift Call Drogo promised me before the Mother of Mountains?" Oh, beautiful! Oh my God! And it's just like, yes, girl, like. She learned this type of empowerment speech from from Drogo. Drogo. Yeah, yeah, for and it's sure. Like each one of these questions that she's asking is like the, the what he promised her. Yeah, and the amplitude of the intensity is getting more intense and more intense. And she's like, she's like, "Will you ride across the black salt seas?" And I'm like, "Epic!" 
She's like, will you kill my enemies in their iron suits? And I'm like, legendary. (laughs) And she's like, will you give me the seven kingdoms? And I'm like, cosmic. (laughs) I'm like standing on my couch, like jumping up and down with them. Like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, are you with me? Now and always. Eternal. (laughs) Freedom. It just keeps escalating and escalating. It's bad ass. Yeah, from epic to legendary to cosmic to eternal. Uh, yeah. And then Drogon is just like, rah, spreading his wings and just like, rah, his whole body is like undulating. And I love those like, those little holes in his jowls are still there. Those yeah. have been there from like when they were like wee tiny little dragons and they've kept that detail and now they're huge. And I, I think you're right. I think that's like where the... Whatever they use to make the flames. Flames shoot out of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. So cool. Oh, and he looks so awesome with that last shot from above as he's just like sort of like Mm. slow-mo flapping his wings a little bit. And the whole crowd is just going wild. And Danny looks like she's just like in such command over it. Like it's one thing like. You know that it's a powerful person when she rides in on like this beast that seems uncontrollable and the beast is just like completely submitted to her will and like like she's more powerful like than the dragon. Too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's just like beautiful. Wow. Like so it's such a display of power. It's just amazing. Yeah, so cool. Came out really well. Truly. I thought the, the, it definitely the mountains did. are really interesting looking. I can never tell if it's like like a, a like a set or if they're real little mountains i think they're out in the mountains yeah i wonder yeah it, it's really hard for me to tell they look like natural but like too perfect to be natural almost you know they're like rolling foothills yeah they're pretty awesome we have hills like that around our area nice that's pretty crazy anything else you want to say about that drogon scene the danny riding drogon it's just epic oh, i, I so mean good. with this this episode felt a little slow to me, and I'm glad that they ended with the uh, an empowering another empowering moment for Danny. Like this is really Danny's coming out season. Yeah, big time. This, this is, is really yeah. her stepping into the role that we see her in season seven. This is she's putting all of her lessons to use and all of her, you know, education basically right. and believing in herself and having the confidence to do what needs to be done it's It's amazing uh, it's like when young clark kent first starts experiencing his powers as a little kid in man of steel and then when he's actually utilizing them as superman basically able to control them and use them for good that's like the two stages of danny's development when she gets Mm -hmm. the dragons and she's like learning how to wield all this power that she's obtaining and now she's like finally like figuring it all out and ready to move forward (laughs) yeah she's amazing yeah so what uh what do you have for notes what do you got first i'm back in king's landing with um tommen and the high sparrow yeah and why are they alone together again like i think tommen trusts him that's i think he's totally bought in he's completely brainwashed so dumb and i I think the high sparrow is placating to his uh naiveness and he's we know that he's dangerous because we're adults and i think tommen 
does not see the danger because he's extremely passive aggressive. Yeah, he's just so so naive also. The high sparrow is passive aggressive and Tom oh, right, and being right. naive. Tom, yeah, I gotcha. Doesn't does not pick up it. on it at all. Yeah, gotcha. He just thinks he's a passive person and completely harmless. He doesn't see the aggressive undertone. <laughs> yeah, the, the the harm is not like battle people dying in the battlefields, which is what Tommen is kind of used to as far as like threats are perceived. Right. This guy is like anti that in Tommen's mind. So how could that be a bad thing? Right. And we know that he's, um, he gravitates towards religion. He's kind of pious and yeah, we've talked about the three forms of conquest, you know, military conquest, which is what you're talking about. The kind of like kinetic battles that Tommen is used to theoretically. Um, then there's economic conquest, which is what the iron bank does. And here is the third form religious conquest, which is what the Mm -hmm. high sparrow is employing in King's landing. And he's basically conquered the throne at this point with Tommen under his wing. So it shows you how effective each of these three forms of conquest can be. Absolutely. And so the high sparrow content, you know, he goes, are you afraid for her? And he goes, of course I am. Like, it seems really dangerous. Like I, I heard what happened to my mom. She had shit. She was covered in shit. And her feet were puke boobs and her feet were bleeding and you cut her hair off and did all this crazy shit to her. Like, I don't want to see my wife go through that. Yeah. And the High Sparrow reassures him. And this is where I really feel like the High Sparrow placates to this naiveness that Tommen has. Like, oh, no, don't worry. We'll protect her. Like, the, the, the Faith Militant are extremely strict. And Tommen's just like, okay. <laughs> She's been devoted to the poor, so I, I don't think they'll hurt her too much. And it's like, dude, dude, no. So dumb, so dumb, so dumb, so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. So the High Sparrow is trying to win Tom in here. He goes, do you want to see her? And Tommen's like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had to do it. Sorry. Nice. No, no, I love it. <laughs> He's like, of course I do. And so we cut over to Marjorie sitting on a bench reading. And they see each other and the high sparrow is very proud of what he's accomplishing here and they run and embrace each other and Tommen's like have they hurt you <laughs> have they mistreated you and she goes no yeah, i'm like total what? lie you are totally been abused the past couple of maybe months maybe from the new pious perspective that she has she considers that not, as not being mistreatment because she deserved it, it was- so do you think she has turned pious as well or if this is all a ploy considering the last time we saw her and she was being the strong one and just telling loris to like play along basically like uh i think that this is kind of an act and she's just doing what she needs to do to get out of there I do too. I don't think she's given in. She's so convincing though. And the way that she knows that Tommen let all this happen is that he's like, he's like weaker than the high sparrow and kind of like bought into his bullshit. I think that her being like, he's more than we imagined. Isn't he? I think she just knows that he's a total sucker and he's just like, she's feeding it. Yeah. She's just, yeah. She's like in her mind. She's like, Oh my God, I hate Tom and get him away from me. He's such a pathetic little puke. But in her, actions she's manipulating him definitely to, uh, help her yeah absolutely 
she needs Tommen to make an alliance with the High Sparrow right, so for, she can get out of there unharmed. Yeah, her atonement. Yeah, exactly. Nailed it. This is how she gets out of her atonement. Nailed it. So she's got to win Tommen over, saying whatever she needs to say to to get him on the High Sparrow's side. And that's how she ends up avoiding the shame walk. Ain't nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that explains her motivation there. We really... We really nailed that one. We really you know, hammered that one out there. Yeah. And I was um, wondering that too. I have it in my notes. Like what's her motivation here? But now we know yeah. it. we, it's revealed. I think that's, I think that's what it is. She's totally. just willing to do whatever. And she, cause she even, I, this is where I kind of clued me. She goes, you think I'm mad. I sound mad. Cause she also knows the high sparrow is probably listening to her. Yeah. Isn't he in the room with her? Them? Probably. If he's not in the room, he's certainly right outside the Close door. By, so yeah. likely he can hear. In a way, I know your friends better than you ever did. Now, in a way, um, <laughs> Marjorie kind of is responsible for Cersei's rise to power here. Because if she hadn't played along and gotten Tommen like totally converted onto Team High Sparrow, then potentially things may have played out differently. And sorry, he Cersei, wouldn't have killed himself. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. So he may not have, uh, Cersei may not, not have had to blow up the sept. Um, if and you kill, know. kill them all. Yeah. I mean, who Burn knows? Them all. Yeah. What, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, Tommen's like, you know, I don't, I don't think you deserve what you, you know, basically like you're a good person. You're, you're always good You're the best to the poor people. And she goes, yes, I visited their hobbles and fed them soup. And I made sure I was seen doing it. Right. And this is, this shows off her intelligence. If what we just kind of uncovered is true. Like she did have to come to some type of realization that maybe that was her motive for doing it. E- either in that the first or, place. or that's what she thinks that the high sparrow wants to hear. I think she's admitting it here because maybe it seemed, I, mean, I feel like her intentions were partially pure at least i think they were partially pure but she's like i gotta come up with something and she's like the high sparrow wants me like he thinks that it's all about vanity and all about this so if i say this it'll sound convincing to him but she purposely stopped when she was with joffrey she stopped the whole thing like their whole like while they're in their litters and she made sure joffrey was watching her Right. Go to the poor people. So. And just that people of King's Landing were witnessing what was happening. Yeah. So I think. I think it's a little bit of self admission, but placating to that's exactly what the High Sparrow wants to hear from her. Nailed it. Yeah, definitely. Whether she 100% believes it in herself, she probably sees it both ways. She's like, yeah, I liked when people saw me doing it because it helped my reputation. But I also really enjoyed doing it. Yeah, because I always felt like there was, you know, she was genuine about caring about the people. Oh, me too. I just think um, there was a part of her that did it also for the reputation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which is what she's placating to. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty slick. And so Tommen's like, I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah. We'll be together again soon and everything will be better than it was before. She's like, I just feel so relieved. And Tommen's like, well, what about your brother? And she goes, well, I love him, but he has to atone for his sins. Yeah. 
Everybody does one way or another. Everybody does. Yeah. And so now he's hooked. He's in, he's bought in all in. Ah, uh, son of a bitch. Yep. Yeah. She's like, the gods have a plan for us all. And I'm like, bitch, don't rely on Gurm's plan for you. Gurm is the god of Westeros, you know, and you don't want to rely on his plan. <laughs> yeah. The plan for them all is everyone's going to fucking die. Yeah. You're all doomed with Gurm making your plans. Uh, you really wish you could rewrite the script <laughs> like, <laughs> like Arya and, uh, you know, Lady Crane. Yeah. So that's, I think we're up at the crossing. Yeah. Do you want to talk about good old Walter Frey? Good old Walter Frey. He's, uh, it's He's always, back. yeah, I love it. He's so much fun to watch. And it's also like every time you see him, you're always astonished at like how he amps up the gross, creepy factor. Like <laughs> each uh-huh. time, you know, He's always doing yeah. something that's just so disgusting and despicable. Yeah. Ugh, when he spanks that girl. <laughs> yeah, that's it. This time, that's like the big one. Ugh. And he's he's scolding Blackwalder and uh, Lothar Frey for for not losing Cat, uh, River Run, like they're saying that we've lost River Run. He's like, no, you didn't lose it. You just didn't run away. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a <laughs> castle, not a bloody sheep. Presumably, you still know where it is. You didn't lose it. You let the Blackfish take it, you idiots, you incompetent <laughs> nincompoops. <laughs> and so uh, they're like trying to come up with all these excuses, and he's like, blah blah blah. Like for three hundred years, the Tullys have dominated us, and we've sworn oaths to them and their stinking fish banners. But that's over. Like it's done. Where we own River Run now. Take it back. And so he brings up the blackfish and they're talking about how the blackfish has stolen it back. And they mention how the brotherhood without banners are rallying the commoners against, against the phrase and their supply trains and camps are being raided. And I thought that was an interesting little line because it hints that something from the books may be happening with the brotherhood without banners, something important from the books. But as we learn later, it turns out to be a red herring (laughs) <laughs> and okay it's not what we what the book readers were speculating was happening mm-hmm. with the brotherhood without banners which is something really interesting which you need to find out by reading the books read the books yeah really interesting read the books hey duncan do we need to read the books i think so okay read yeah read them read the books okay. yeah we need to read the books i think i will i think i'm gonna read the books <laughs> so <laughs> he's talking about how river run can withstand a siege for a year and there yeah there is going to be a siege with catapults and all that remember jamie's threat about how to uh edmure like you're gonna go in you're gonna take the castle and you're gonna hand it over to us or i'm gonna launch your little baby over the walls of river run with a trebuchet you know oh my god (laughs) yeah so that's siege warfare in its finest right there nice little siege at river run run that we're gonna get to experience um so I like this, all this river run stuff. It's kind of cool. I like the blackfish. So it's great to have him coming back into the plot. Yes. Interesting that he and uncle Benjamin, two lost family members from earlier on in the series are both showing up around the same time as well. Yeah. True. True statement. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Pretty cool. So that's basically what's happening there. Walder's like, you guys need to get this handled. And they're like, he's not going to yield to us. Oh, I liked the. There's a little exposition to Walder. Kind of says some stuff to remind people who the hell he is and who all these people are. Like the Blackfish, <laughs> he explains that he is Catelyn's brother who escaped the Red Wedding 
and it helps us remember who these people are yeah it's li- as yeah, a first little- time viewer it's like wait who's this guy right yeah for the casuals <laughs> yeah it's pretty funny so they they bring up rob stark's wife and child being killed and everything he's like you'll remind the blackfish who you are by showing him the weapons that you used to do the commit these atrocities basically and uh, remind him who got married at the red wedding in the first place his nephew and then we get to see ed muir tully the floppy fish (laughs) (laughs) the flaccid fish (laughs) (laughs) yes who had been so impotent with the bow and arrow at his brother hoster tully's funeral viking style funeral that he the blackfish had to take the bow from him with the fire arrow and shoot (laughs) the 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 raft at the last minute shoves him out of the way yeah uh, the floppy fish. He's fun. I like this actor a lot. He's uh, been in some good yeah. stuff. Played Brutus in Rome with uh, oh, cool. Karen Hines, another HBO show from like 10, 15 years ago. Really good show also. Nice. It too, Brutus. With all the stabbing of Jon Snow and all of our talk of that, of uh, comparing with Julius Caesar and everything like that. It makes sense to mention that. So uh, I thought that was just kind of funny. Some exposition to remind us what the fuck is going on with all these things that happened like three seasons ago. Just coming out of nowhere back to haunt us. <laughs> you know, that's one of the things about the show. So much going on. You really got to like pay attention to all this stuff. Definitely. Yeah. And then he, yeah. See, so he like pulls that little girl onto his lap and, and she's like, oh, <laughs> you can see in her face. She's like, oh my God, <laughs> the horror never ends. She's basically like Sansa Stark kind of. Yeah. And uh, that's it for for the crossing for the twins. What do you got next? Jamie and Cersei? Yep. Freaks. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know where that came from. It's like, they are, though. They're kind of freaks. Both of them. Yeah. Jamie is acting pretty Cersei-like in this scene. Yeah. He's like, he's like all pissed. He's, he's so pissed that his plan didn't work. And he's super pissed that he's getting released from the Kingsguard. Yeah. It's like, like that's kind of a dishonor because we saw the way, um, what's his face? Batman. Barristan. He yeah. Re- yeah. He reacted. It's interestingly, he, after he got banished from the Kingsguard, he left and fought for Danny. And what happens here? Jamie gets banished from the Kingsguard and he rides north at the end of season seven to yeah. potentially go fight with John and Danny. Danny. So if you get banished from the Kingsguard, you're going to join another Kingsguard or something, basically. Yeah. Well, it's their purpose. It's what they're meant to do. It's their... Yeah. I don't know. Imagine him would, kneeling before Danny and being like... Oh, gracious queen. Yeah, I'm here to serve the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. Like, John Snow. I, yeah. <laughs> or like the same thing that Barristan said, you know, like that he's haunted by what happened to her family and <laughs> he's there to serve the rightful king. <laughs> I think Jamie's going to end up killing Cersei. Oh, man. I really do. It would be very poetic. Yeah, I, I just... I feel like the Tyrion Cersei hatred towards each other is such a red herring. It's not going to be Tyrion. It's going to be Jamie. He knows, and he's already the Kingslayer. So why not become the Queenslayer? Oh man, and uh, like the direct Kinslayer. <laughs> yeah, he's already kind of like a Kinslayer for his cousin. Yeah. So fuck it. Go all in. Damn, that's super hardcore. And it, it's going to be. I think. 
why we see in Brand's vision the burn them all scene. I think it's going to be something like that where Jamie has to either kill his sister to save a, a large population of people or a large population of people is going to die. It's so he's going to do the honorable thing yeah. and kill his sister. It's not a bad theory. Not a bad theory. And I won't be disappointed if that plays out. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's so pissed here. He's like, I'm going to give Braun the largest bag of gold anyone's ever seen and have him gather the best killers he knows to just fucking rip through this, the high, the sept and kill the high sparrow and every freaking buddy they can find. Basically all the sparrows they can find. Cersei's like, you can't. He's so pissed. He has our son. He stole our son. <laughs> How should we treat people that tear us apart? And uh, an epic Cersei monologue is inbound where she's talking about how we should treat them without mercy. Interesting considering Arya employs mercy in this episode. The difference between Arya and Cersei. And uh, she's like, but if you kill this, the High Sparrow, you will not escape with your wife, basically. And without you, this is all for nothing. So his, him leaving next year, is that a, basically the same effect, you know, that this has all been for nothing or is yeah. she just like beyond caring after Tom and dies? I think she's just beyond caring. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> so she's like, stand at the head of our army where you belong, where father wanted you show them what Lannisters are and what we do to our enemies and everything. Take back that stupid little castle because he's being assigned to get River Run back, basically. Yeah. <laughs> because, because it's, it's ours. ours. Yeah, and because you can. And uh, very, very prophetically, Jamie's like, you'll stand trial soon. I need to be here for you. And uh, she's like, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. She's like, dude, I have the mountain. Yeah, but as we know, the trial by combat's going to be forbade by, yep. by the crown. So... That'll, that's not her option and Jamie's long gone so she has to resort to madness and yeah. having to resort to all that madness maybe also like another factor in what pushes her over the edge yep just the fact True. that she was forced to like to go all out like that and it resulted yeah. in the death of her son and everything yeah so I, I was thinking also as she's saying this like talking about the trial by combat combat and everything i'm like at least she didn't put all of her eggs in the mountain basket you know she had like the the back the uh back burner plan of the wildfire going to <laughs> backup plan uh it's kind of funny so she's like they have no idea how strong we are what we're gonna do to them and jamie just like loves that shit apparently because he like starts making out with her and everything and she's nice. whispering in his ear, just wrapping him around her, <laughs> around her finger about how they're like, you know, they've always been together and how they'll always be together and how they are the only two people in the world. It's so creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. We entered this world together. I wonder if they'll leave the world together if like they'll, if Jamie has to kill himself to kill her. Oh my God. Yes. Sacrifice himself to kill her. Yeah. They both die like simultaneously. That would be even more poetic. Holy shit. Yeah, he almost gave his life to kill one fire-obsessed, one fire-breathing beast. You know, the dragon when he was, like, going at it with the javelin kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Right? So maybe I that was like foreshadowing um, killing himself in the process of killing another purveyor of fire, which would be potentially Cersei. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, so she's like, well, we're the only two people in this world. And it's like, well, we're glad to know you feel that way because apparently you don't care about your son who's going to die pretty soon also. So 
I guess, considering you think you and Jane are the only people in the world, that it doesn't really matter. They won't really bother you that much. So good to know. So she totally owns Jamie here, uh, continuing the theme of sisters being the stronger of the siblings from a couple episodes ago. Definitely. Where Sansa was like bossing John around, basically, and Marjorie was imparting strength into Loras or trying to, and, you know, all that stuff that we talked about. Yeah. So that's it for my notes. Anything else you got? That's it for me. All right. Stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a short break. with Game of Thrones and history. I think we're going to forego news for the coming weeks since we're in such close proximity to the season. We don't want to stumble upon any spoilers or anything like that. So I agree with that. I don't want to get spoiled on something. Yeah. Plus, with our episodes being so long lately, um, coming up to the new season and everything with all the analysis, uh, there's no we don't really need the extra content. I don't think anybody's going to care. No, I don't either. <laughs> Yeah, so let's go right into Game of Thrones and history. I do like Game of Thrones and history, though. Yeah, yeah. I love it, too. <laughs> it's so okay. much fun. <laughs> um, from Encyclopedia Britannica, again, continuing what we were discussing last week, covering their article by Richard Pilardi, Behind the Scenes, Nine Historical Inspirations for Game of Thrones. Take it away, Lady Rachel. The first one is Fortification. The Night's Watch garrisons the Wall, a massive fortification separating Westeros from the savage hinterlands of the north. The Wall is equivalent in significance to the Great Wall of China, which was intended by the various Chinese dynasties that built and expanded upon it to repel nomadic invaders. Martin actually based the structure on Hadrian's Wall, a barrier erected by the Romans in Britain to fortify their settlements there. Yeah, the, the, uh, the Wall of China is like almost even like a better metaphor. I, th- I always thought it was like the Great Wall of China because of yeah, how long it was. Bigger. Yeah. And Hadrian's Wall is super like, well, it's a long wall, but it's like only four feet tall in a couple yeah, places. Teeny tiny. <laughs> in comparison. Yeah. The article continues. Though the wall in Game of Thrones is magical and made of ice, it has not proved much more effective than the Great Wall, which was breached on a multitude of occasions. Torture. Torture is never off the table in Westeros, so to speak. One Game of Thrones episode had the internet a Twitter over a savage scene of torture in which a rat is forced to eat through the victim's stomach. That's at Harrenhal, right? In season two. That was hard to watch. Yeah. A form of torture that humans, sadly, had dreamed up way before the invention of television. And a gruesome scene of castration had viewers gasping. Records of torture stretch back to ancient Egypt and Greece, although most countries had abolished it, at least nominally, prior to the 20th century. For a more in-depth discussion of torture methods, check out Encyclopedia Britannica's list, Cruel and Unusual Punishments, 15 Types of Torture. Next, we have Execution. Ned Stark, who decapitated an errant Night's Watchman in the first episode of the series, himself lost his grizzled melon at the behest of King Joffrey in the... (laughs) His grizzled melon. (laughs) (laughs) 
in the penultimate episode of that season, oh capital punishment is widely seen as a just and efficient means of punishing certain transgressors in Westeros. And a trial isn't always necessary. The eye for an eye dictum has been enshrined in the codes of most societies, starting with the Code of Hammurabi, though debate over the ethical nature of killing criminals continues to rage. Ooh. Rage, rage, fucking rage. Fucking rage. <laughs> <laughs> Next is dragons. In Game of Thrones, dragons were thought to have been extinct for over a century until Daenerys Targaryen hatched a trio of them in a magical conflagration. The members of House Targaryen were once known as skilled dragon riders. In our world, dragons have been variously considered representative of good and of evil throughout history. The Chinese held dragons in high esteem, using one as the emblem of the royal family, while the Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans feared and reviled them, a perception that remained into Judeo-Christian times when dragons became emblematic of sin. Last, we have the dire wolves. At the beginning of the series, the Stark children find the corpse of a dire wolf and adopt their orphan pups. And keep in mind that the dire, the dead dire wolf was killed by a stag. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was crazy. Very symbolic. Yeah. Those that survive become loyal companions and defenders of the Starks. These Pleistocene creatures, though heftier than modern gray wolves, were not nearly as massive as they are shown in the series. Now extinct, they are among the most common prehistoric animals pulled from California's La Brea Tar Pits. Ever been there? I have not been to the Tar Pits. Ooh, I've been to the Tar Pits. Oh, you have? Yeah, cool. they're, they're really cool. It's very interesting. They got like a big mammoth skeleton and dire wolves and cave bears and stuff over there on display. I remember the La Brea Tar Pits from this cartoon when I was a little kid. Denver, the last dinosaur. That was super cool. You hear that? What was that? <laughs> Sir Matthew of House Rep. Season six, still going strong. Blood of my blood, in addition to being how Dothraki blood riders address each other, also has our cast reunited with blood relatives that they thought they would never see again. Bran is saved by his uncle Benjen, more or less, and Sam returns to Horn Hill to ask his horrible father if Gilly could stay with them. Flash forward to season seven, and Sam is now the last male heir to Horn Hill, and it's a good thing he took Heartsbane with him when he left, or it would have been lost forever when Drogon executes his father and brother. Ooh, so he thinks he would have had Heartsbane with him. Yeah, yeah, he does. Interesting. Interesting. The scene with Arya and Lady Crane is so perfect. When Arya suggests a rewrite of her final speech and says, The Queen loves her son more than anything, and he was taken from her before she could say goodbye. She wouldn't just cry. She would be angry. She would want to kill the person who did this to her. And Lady Crane rep replies, Do you like pretending to be other people? This is what cements Arya's fate. She isn't no one. She is Arya Stark of Winterfell, and she wants to kill the people who took her family from her before she got a chance to say goodbye. Now she just has to get away from the Waif 1000, <laughs> T-1000 <laughs> from Terminator. Yeah, nice. so that's a good point, bringing up the fact that Cersei didn't get a chance to say goodbye and would want to kill the people who stole her son from her before she had that chance. 
Arya is feeling the same way about the people who took her family from her and she didn't get to say goodbye. Yeah. She's angry and she wants to kill him. And that's a great, great point too that we didn't really mention during the episode. And as well, that part where Arya gives this amazing insight to the actress about how she can add anger into her speech there. I think um, the motivation for Lady Crane asking, who are you at that moment? And she's just like impressed by Arya having this type of insight <laughs> yeah, into the human sure. soul. She's like, like, where did you come from? Like, what do you like? For sure. You know, so it's, it's kind of cool that that's how she intends it. But the question has so many other implications for Arya's character at that moment, which are just amazing. We kind of glossed over what the way that the question was initially intended. True. Thanks for writing, uh, Sir Matthew. Yeah, was good to I'm glad you, he brought it up. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Lady Sarah of House Larkham. This episode was awesome. We get to see a glimpse of the Mad King when Bran uploads all the data of history of the past and the present to his Bran computer <laughs> and get Benjen, a.k.a. Cold Hands. <laughs> Cold Hands. The High Sparrow manage, manages to trick Cersei, Elena, Jamie, Mace, Kavan, <laughs> Kavan, <laughs> by convincing Marjorie to turn a gullible Tommen to merge the crown and the faith together. Oh, damn it. We get to see Edmure, who has been in a cell since he impregnated his wife, Rosalind Frey, during the Red Wedding. I almost said daughter impregnation is somewhere the show hasn't gone yet, but it actually totally is. Uh, Gilly. Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> Good to hear from you. Lisa. Yes, thanks Thank for you. writing in, everybody. Yeah. All right. That's our show. Episode 98. Thanks for listening, you guys. Yeah, thank you. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast. Links to both are at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lady Terry of House Theodore, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, and Luke the Low Duke. Thank you guys so much for your patronage. We love you guys. Yes. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmaester Stitches. Go to sirenicide.com and download it wherever you get your podcasts. We also want to give a huge thank you to Lady Lisa of House Sky Pie Romancer. She is key behind the scenes working to get our website gameofmicrophones.com up and running. She's an amazing artist. I know we talk about this every time, I but know, she's so insane. I can't, the work she does is incredible. So you can check out her illustrated children's book available now on Amazon called The People You May See. And you can check her out at fineartsbylisa.com or on Instagram and Facebook slash fineartsbylisa. Yes. Yeah, check out her stuff. It's awesome. Thanks, Lady Lisa. Thank you. We love you. Mm -hmm. 
Next episode, we'll be covering Season 6, Episode 7, <laughs> The Broken Man. Which yes. I love because I'm a huge Hound fan. So yes. about time, bring him back into the fold. A little bit of action. Can't wait. Fuck yeah. Sandor for the win. <laughs> Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. Imp slap. Oh. <laughs> you can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steam It. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. Likes, comments, and shares are greatly appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at gompodcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. As I expected. A shame. A girl had many gifts. You promised me. Don't let her suffer. If not, there's still time to catch a flaming spike ball and a chain to the face so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Yes. Nice. <laughs> Dickon's like, yeah, I brought him down from 70 yards in one shot. And Sam's like, oh, well, you know, that's that's pretty good. And he's probably like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> you know, she has her children and they probably just ignore each other. Yeah, probably. Corn Hill it looks beautiful. That place, like a, man. Wow. Wow. It's how I feel like when I go on a diet. It's like, no bread. Please get it out of my sight. Sadly, through all of these tales of Sam's valor and excellence as a warrior, all that Randall heard was that Gilly's a wildling. Everything that could have gone wrong at this dinner has gone wrong. <laughs> Everything. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yep, lots of good Blackfire Rebellion stuff. So it's just kind of interesting here. Um, another Valyrian steel ancestral sword that's being like the the rightful inheritor of it the firstborn male is being bypassed by the owner so just kind of yeah. a cool parallel but Definitely. sam ends up getting it anyway whereas daron the second never Doesn't. got it <laughs> yeah never got blackfire the the um location of blackfire is currently unknown unknown uh, yeah okay that's yeah. right it's coming back to me I was like, damn, I don't know if it's too harsh to play the bitch made sound effect here for, for Sam because it might be too mean. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> so we're back to the play and Joffrey is about to die as he cuts open <laughs> yes. the pie with Widow's Whale. <laughs> drink long and deep, my noble king, from this cup of sweet wine. The last drink he shall ever take and vengeance shall be mine.
Yes, it's very clever, this little play within a TV show. Yeah, it's so cool. But the stink that filled the privy gave ample evidence that the oft-repeated jape about his father was just another lie. Lord Tywin Lannister did not, in the end, shit gold. Um, and wouldn't it be ironic? <laughs> Don't you think? <laughs> oh, God. A little too ironic. <laughs> and yeah, I really do think. It's like red. <laughs> wouldn't it be ironic that... Tywin being obsessed with his family legacy and his children's legacies that none of his children are actually his. <laughs> He's like half dead. Well, he has a piece of dragon glass in his heart. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say he's alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. And hands him a glass of rabbit blood tea. Oh. Gross. So good. But it was so it's, it's just um it's basically how season every episode of season eight is gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Sam is rambling, running his mouth just <laughs> about fucking trees. Yeah, just uncontrollably poplar, elm beach shrimp. Yeah, I just gonna say <laughs> fried shrimp. Uh, shrimp gumbo. Popcorn shrimp. <laughs> yeah. So funny. And Gervy's like, Gervy. Gilly's like, you're nervous. Gervy. Gervy. Glamps. Glamps. And Gilly is like, oh my God. Like blown away by the scale of this. Like, remember how Egret was like, oh, is that a castle? When they saw the windmill. Yeah. And Jon Snow's like, <laughs> we had towers at Winterfell five times that height. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Gilly's never seen anything like this before. And they go back and forth. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I was just like, they say oh a lot. Oh, oh my. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. Like, oh, 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 mother. <laughs> oh. Two years later. Time, time loops. <laughs> so. <laughs> that laugh. <laughs> <laughs> She looks so awkward. Yeah, she stiffly walks out. She looks like a girl out of the Napoleon Dynamite prom. <laughs> That's great. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> and no. he's, he's like so sad. He can't even say bye to little Sam. He's like about to cry. Say goodbye to little Sam for me. And he like runs out. Almost. Oh, it's so sad. And Gilly's like, Sam, that's your father's sword. It's my family's sword. <laughs> As he brings it down from the mantle and gives his puny little, like. <laughs> the crown and the faith are the twin pillars upon which the world rests. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Together we will restore the seven kingdoms to glory, Gliven. Shut up. Yeah, and the high sparrow is just like, <laughs> like sneering at Jamie, and Jamie's like, Fucking motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Freaking miserracking motherfucking, you know. Even in death, Tywin Lannister gets his way. Ugh, bastard. Yep. There's one in San Francisco, I think. An ice hotel? So Lady Crane is, is not satisfied with the script that she's following, doing her job here. And she asks Arya, how would you change it? Right? And then she asks Arya, what's your name? And then she asks Arya, do you like pretending to be other people? So these three questions are all <gasps> relevant 
to Arya on a, on oh a whole other level, right? Yeah. Arya is following the script of being supposed to supposed to be killing Lady Crane. So sh- the the idea of altering the script is suggesting to Arya that she doesn't have to follow through with the script she's been given necessarily by oh, the Faceless Men. That's crazy. Is she going to join the Faceless Men once and for all, or is she going to retain her identity? So how would you change the script? What's your name? And do you like pretending to be other people? Like, are you going to follow your instructions? Who are you? Are you no one or are you Arya? And are you satisfied with pretending to be other people forever and never having your own identity? I love them. (laughs) Everyone's jealous of Lady Crane. Yeah. The wave is so creepy. (laughs) She is. She's so wafy. Creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. It sounds like such a ballet girl sometimes. Uh, I love that part. I was like, oh man, these are great. I started like, (laughs) when I remember to grab them. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just as I expected. Yep. She didn't follow through with it basically she fucking waffled yeah and jack and's like damn it i labeled this the rebirth of drogo oh cool that's pretty cool i just said danny mounting drogon <laughs> if we were to walk out our door right now and drogon would be sitting on my driveway yeah. he would be the size of a 747 he'd be sitting on 10 of your driveways and Danny's this little tiny silver haired girl, like so sitting cool. on his back. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Some, there's some like illustrations of Balerion, the black dread too, looking just monstrous. And Aegon is like mm. this tiny little like toothpick on his shoulder. Just a little dollop, a little dollop of Daisy up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. What would you do for a dollop? A dollop. A Daisy. Going down faster than an elevator full of Winnebago's. Oh my god. All of a sudden. Here the- oh, this glorious goddess rides in on a dragon and is like, I choose you. Like, how can you not follow her? How can you not want to be a part of what she's doing? Yeah, something so monumental. And, and- she has a good cause. She has a good cause. Like, right. she's helping people along the way. It's like, if I were in Planetos, I would be so Team Danny. Poop boobs. Boobs and and Tommen's like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to do it. This is how she gets out of her atonement. Nailed it. So she's got to win Tommen over, saying whatever she needs to say to to get him on the High Sparrow's side, and that's that's the way that she ends up avoiding poop boobs. Basically, <sighs> she doesn't want no poop boobs. <laughs> yeah, that's how she ends up avoiding the shame lock. Ain't nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Bitch, don't rely on Gurm's plan for you. Because, because it's, it's ours. ours. Yeah, and because you can. It's so creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. We entered this world together. I wonder if they'll leave the world together if like they'll if Jamie has to kill himself to kill her. Oh my god. Yes. Sacrifice himself to kill her. Yeah. They both die like simultaneously. Fuck. Ned Stark, who decapitated an errant Night's Watchman in the first episode of the series himself lost his grizzled melon at the behest of King Joffrey in the... <laughs> his grizzled melon. 
<laughs> Ooh, so he thinks he would have had Heartsbane with him. Yeah, yeah, he does. Interesting. Interesting. 